Time for Windows Weekly. Paul Therott's here. Richard Campbell's back from his visit to England. We're going to talk about Windows 11. Microsoft's got a new way to kind of trick you into upgrading, something you might want to watch out for. Intel's earnings fall off a cliff, but they've got a better way than firing people to make money back. And we'll take a look at .NET MAUI and desktop applications for Windows. That and a whole lot more coming up next on Windows Weekly. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Windows Weekly with Paul Therott and Richard Campbell. Episode 814, recorded Wednesday, February 1st, 2023. Dump Truck Fade. Windows Weekly is brought to you by Miro. Miro is your team's visual platform to connect, collaborate, and create together. Tap into a way to map processes, systems, and plans with the whole team and get your first three boards for free to start creating your best work yet at Miro.com slash podcast. And by Melissa. Over 10,000 clients worldwide in industries like retail, education, healthcare, insurance, finance, and government rely on Melissa for full-spectrum data quality and ID verification software. Make sure your customer contact data is up to date. Get started today with 1,000 records cleaned for free at melissa.com slash twit. And by Drata. Too often, security professionals are undergoing the tedious, arduous task of manually collecting evidence. With Drata, say goodbye to the days of manual evidence collection and hello to automation. All done at Drata speed. Visit Drata.com slash twit to get a demo and 10% off implementation. It's time for Windows Weekly, the show where we uh, get together and uh, talk about Windows and Microsoft in general with these two cats right here. On your left, Paul Therott, therott.com, and of course, leanpub.com for his books. On your right, from Run As Radio and .NET Rocks, Mr. Richard Campbell. Hello, Richard. Hello, Paul. Good day to you, sirs. Hello. Hi. Richard, you were in London. I was in London last week, yes, and uh, speaking at a conference and... Make, recording a few run ases, you know, trying to stay out of trouble. Did you have fun? Yeah, absolutely. Did you, did you, you see know? the king? Uh, no king. No king Chuck to be seen. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that much hasn't changed. Uh, yeah, I'd like to see Chuck. I would. I'd like to see him in all his regalia. But, yeah. You know. they'll, 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 there's going to be a coronation at some point. I'm sure it'll be a thing. I think it's a couple yeah. of months. I think it's in It will be in March the news. Or April. It will be in the news. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Paul is in his basement again, but you've yep. kind of you've added some decor. Well, not really. Sorry, I'm. <laughs> yeah, it looks the same. No cat. Well, the cat's on the bed. She's enjoying herself over there. And there you go. <laughs> That's all that matters. Um, Microsoft news. Let's get right into it. Did it? 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 Should we start with Windows 11? Yeah, why not? What's news? Well, Leo, I'm glad you asked. The Windows 11 update is not going so well, or upgrade, I should say, for Microsoft. So now they're going to ram it down their throats. Nice. <laughs> yeah, and there's a couple of different ways of doing this. Um, the first is they've announced that they're going to just automatically update uh, to Windows 11 on non-managed PCs, meaning uh, PCs run by individuals, right? Um, 
So that's going to happen. The other thing, and this is this is the most beautiful Microsoft thing of all Microsoft things. Um, people are starting to take screenshots of their, um, you know, their computer screen because you can't take. I guess you can't screenshot this part of it. It's during setup, and uh, they're being told they need to upgrade to Windows 11. And there are two buttons. It says OK or do it later. <laughs> <laughs> those are your choices. And, uh, those are the choices. There's no so never, huh? Cancel yeah. this. Well, actually, you know, my, again, Microsoft, there's a little link at the bottom. You have to really look for it. And it kind of says something like click here to stay on Windows 10 or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's they, not you know, just pushing to 22H2. It is getting you off of 10. They're doing both, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I am I am days away from rebuilding a couple of new PCs. Yep. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm prone to 10 because I like my taskbar on the left. But yeah. I don't know if it's going to let me. Well, you can configure Windows 11 to put it on the left. You know, yeah. they always say that, but is that really the right answer? You know? Oh, if you know that's what? all I, you're worried about. Isn't there well, stuff in Windows <laughs> 11 that is also like the centered taskbar? Yeah. Uh, well, for Mr. Round, you can't, Mr. Campbell here. You can't turn off the, round, the rounded corners. You know, that might be an issue. And you get the search pill. Yeah. Uh, you get the widgets where the start button used to be. Yep. Um, yeah. I Look, in my experience, uh, because I've done this a lot and I've been kind of freaked out at how um, inconsistent it is, if you download the ISO from Microsoft, um, they actually do a pretty good job of keeping it up to date. Um, like you don't go back to October or whatever. Um, I don't know. <laughs> if, you <laughs> want to, I mean, if you want to stay in Windows 10, you can. Of course, you can download that ISO as well. Yeah. Yeah, but they're going to pester you. You know, you only have like two, two and a half years. It's kind now, of right? annoying. Yeah, this is kind of yeah. annoying. So, so you're going to see okay or do it later, and then at the bottom of that dialog box, in a somewhat low contrast font. That's right. It's going to say a one point font. There'll be a little link <laughs> blue on blue. I want to stay with Windows Ten. Yeah. So you know, I I right. want to make bad choices. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, I my understanding is that this is probably like that screen you might see sometimes when you reboot and it says, "Hey, let's finish setting up," even though you have finished setting up. Right. And you can say, "Yeah, just remind me in three days," and then it just reminds you the next time you reboot, which is typically because you've installed some update that requires it. And I always just click through. I never want to go through that. I just don't care. Like I don't, I don't care what you want me to do. I'm not mm-hmm. doing it. <laughs> I'm just going to skip it. And I think it's that you're here to serve me for crying out loud. Like this feels like a dark pattern, though. I mean, yeah, that's right. That's right. It feels like they're really trying to trick people into going to Windows 11. And some percentage of people will just say, "Okay." that's right. I wrote the first Delphi app I ever wrote was like this. It was like you try to click the button on the uh, dialogue and the dialogue would move. (laughs) You're the one that did that. I I, I guess today. Yeah, today we call that a dark pattern. (laughs) But, uh, you know, kind of like spell checking is AI, I guess. Did you do it for Uh, the lulls, Paul? Is that why you did that? Well, I was just doing it to test Delphi. Yeah. (laughs) Can I keep the button away from the mouse? That's it. That's right. The cancel button that runs away. <laughs> That's right. It's the classic. <laughs> Always yeah. funny. Uh, as, or as you go to click on them, they actually flip positions, so you click on them. Yes, exactly. Oh, exactly. That, that's well, actually, so I, 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 yeah, I did, I did that application as well. I had one yeah. called, uh, I always forget the name of it. It was uh, visual. Back then, it was like um, it was like a way to format the disk. What the heck was it called? Not disk part. Um, it doesn't matter. It was a command line interface. So it was like a graphical 
front end to this thing back in you know the days when DOS was still part of Windows. And um, you would click cancel, and it would say, okay, formatting C. Oh, God. Inducing terror. Uh, I always forget the name of that. I can't remember that command line utility. Yeah. Anyway, it was like a format type thing, but not format. It was I X also format? found that if I made... If I made progress scores go back down, you get people to be really angry. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> right. You get about 80%. Oh, there's nothing like 60. waiting for a computer to reboot, and then it goes to the second, uh, you know, it actually goes to the BIOS, comes back, and then it says, rewinding whatever you just did. And you're like, oh, yeah. come on. <laughs> like, come on. So Steve makes a, a little program called In Control that, uh, yep. you know, that's his way of saying never uh, upgrade okay. to Windows 11. Uh, it's. I think it changes some registry entries, is what it does. Okay. So there is a way to say, yeah, I don't yeah, makes want sense. to ever be pestered about this. Right. The problem like is when I'm looking at this, uh, mm -hmm. he's got a a little pay, an in control page. It looks like you're also preventing updates of all kinds. Oh, which would not be yeah, wait a minute. Operating system upgrades are in your control system. Security updates will be received and installed as usual. Oh, but all feature updates and OS upgrading are under your control. I like that. Yeah. I like that. So you can say, I want to stay on... What is uh, he, some kind of a hippie? <laughs> <laughs> My God, socialism in action. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I like that. So he offers that for free. It's just a little assembly language tool. I'm sure it just changes a registry entry. So if you knew what the regedit was, you could probably do that. Yeah. Well, and, and probably a bunch of them, actually, because why would you put it in one place? Oh, yeah, I'm sure it and is. A, and I bet his most important service is that it auto-starts every time you boot up the machine, because every time you actually apply a patch, it's going to reset all those entries Click. again. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. That's the problem with a lot of these uh, Windows 11 utilities, you know, the things that try to bring it back to the way it was or change some behavior. Mm -hmm. Microsoft, you know, they're active. They'll revert it. To thwart that yeah, stuff. they'll yeah. revert it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he does, yeah, there is a command line way to do what in control does. He has a script, a command line script you could use. So yeah. it's just a, a register. It is. It's just, just have it run it every time you boot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just yeah. have it run it started. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just a variety of uh, registry entries, exactly as you said. Right. Um, and uh, you could do it. I guess you could do it. Uh, man, look at these keys. <laughs> Six <laughs> different registry keys. It's changing. <laughs> so that you won't ever be pestered. Man, yeah. I thought we were going to get rid of the registry, you know, 20 years ago. Possible. I really thought we were is heading there any, So I've always said the registry is a horrible hairball of a way yep. to store it settings is. in a binary fashion. Uh, modern operating systems usually use XML files that are human readable, uh, yep. plists, things like that. Well, you got it. So this goes back, I think, to the creation of NT as the anti-Unix, right? Right. And, um, you know, Windows used to have these WinInny and SysInny. And, yeah, mm -hmm. which were text. Them, yeah. Yep. Which were plain text, yeah. And fig super, super sys. Yeah. But, you know, people, normal people go in there and they start screwing around. Ah. Uh, and yeah. So. Yeah, except yeah, the registry was. Now normal people go into the registry and when they yes. screw around, they cause instant right. damage. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> instant irrevocable permanent damage. Yeah, you're doing, you're doing brain surgery on yourself. Yeah. Yeah, 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 like it's not. Can clever. you move the mirror a little to the left? I guess. <laughs> so, and and I think also because it's a it's a binary file and it can get very large. It's kind of a hairball, right? Uh, yeah. And then yep. people, 
and because a lot of computer users are, let's face it, a lot of us are a little bit OCD. They want to clean <laughs> yeah. it up. They don't want to sure. have old keys lying around, even though it's harmless. <laughs> this is um, this. I love that this has turned into a self help chat. But yeah, it's it's um, no right. I, no, absolutely. Like this, um, you know. Like I, I used to. Sp I've spent how many countless hours have I spent just removing things from a start menu? I am never going to look at. Yep. Right. You know, um, we all do this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's tidying up a room. I'll never go in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. After a while, you know, with some things you just kind of give up on it. After a while, I don't think there's any. These are the people who like run CC Cleaner every morning. You know. Yes, right? exactly. Exactly. Or used to run Disk Defrag before you did anything in the morning, just to you know make sure everything. was I lined used to up tell people. Way. I said, uh, well, I understand. I honor your desire to have a clean, tidy mm -hmm. register. Yeah. But these programs either are going to risk screwing things up because they're too aggressive, yep. or they're going to be so careful that it's useless. They do nothing. They do I nothing. I also say, from, yeah. uh, you know, uh, not to turn it into a weird comparison, but like Windows is such a hairball and is such a mess that it's like, you know, in Phoenix, when I lived in Phoenix, Arizona, there was this thing where you could steam clean your engine. Because there was so <laughs> Always much, a like, mistake. Dirt, Always a mistake. Don't ever do that. Don't ever do because that. Because now your engine leaks oil all over the place. The grit <laughs> the was what was holding it's it in holding the stuff in. Yeah, exactly. Don't clean the registry. It's what's holding the thing together. <laughs> That's really good analogy. You know? It's yeah, like right? steam cleaning it's your like engine. That. Yeah, you want to have yeah, a nice, shiny, clean it engine. It sounds like it's a good idea. Not a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it looks great. You take a picture of it because it's not going anywhere. That's a really good just, analogy. Yeah. And oh, the man. solution ultimately is just build a new machine so that you yeah. get yeah, start to well, reassemble from scratch. Actually, yes. So I, I will say that, you know, most of the people listening to the show obviously are technical, so this is not a big deal for them. Mm -hmm. But normal people, understandably, are freaked out by resetting windows, by, you know, factory resetting it, you know, that kind of thing. And I get it. But, you know, the truth is, like, that process is actually super reliable now. It works really well. Um, you, don't, I, you don't really hear about people barking their machines that way. No. But when people come to me and they say, hey, um, you know, when, I, I feel like Windows is slowed down or, you know, blah, blah, whatever it is. I, you know, to me, because I'm always using either a different computer, I'm just blowing computers away all the time. Right. It's like, yeah, yeah, I don't really experience that. No. Um, and so the solution is probably somewhere in the middle between never doing it and doing it as often as I do it. But, um, you know, once a year for, for, for sure, six months. I don't, if you're setting your computer up correctly, if you have all your data syncing to the cloud, um, if you know your applications, you don't have to worry about like um, product keys or whatever. Right. Um, this process is actually not that, not that hard. painful. And it, yeah. yeah, and it doesn't take that long. I, uh, like I said, I'm rebuilding a couple of machines, so I'm going to kick some right. parts loose. And we've got a teenage boy neighbor living next door, and I'm like, mm -hmm. "You want these parts? Uh, we, nice. We'll build you another machine. You got to bring me a new case, a fresh right. power supply, mm -hmm. and a set of fans. Like all right. the spinning right. hardware needs to be replaced, but the rest is going to be fine. That's yeah, a very nice. cool thing to do." Yeah. And are you going to help him learn how to what it all means? Yeah, we'll walk I'll walk him through building That's the machine. That's so cool. Yeah, it's a, That's a it's great an afternoon thing. ritual. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I like that. And you can do that yeah. in Canada. <laughs> you can. <laughs> Risk of litigation low. Yeah. Not a lot of stand uh, your ground up around here. Around you know? here, it might not be that. <laughs> but in Canada, sure, you could do sure. that. Yeah. I, that's really nice. I think that's a great thing to do, and it's a it, it, you know yeah. it's a great way to. Um, Get a kid into computing. Mm -hmm. Right, it's often well, a father just, father son activity, but not all parents are technical, and so uh, yeah, you know you get a technical neighbor. That's great. Yeah, and and have and then he has his own machine. So I you know I talked to the exactly. parents first. It's like, oh, of course, hey, we'd like to 
you know, this is a good thing. We're going to go sure. through the rules around this. So like, Excellent. Oh, there you go. You're, you're doing God's work there, Richard. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I was in last uh, Mac years in the world. It is God's it's work. It. <laughs> yeah. No Linux. That's the deal. Um, <laughs> you didn't mention it. You kind of buried the, the lead, I thought. Uh, yeah. Maybe this was the biggest, to me, the biggest story of the week. It's only a rumor from Bloomberg and the information mm-hmm. that uh, we're going to see chat GPT-4 oh, in yes. Bing yeah. in the next couple of weeks. Okay. Right. Um, I... I meant to tweet about that. Um, my my tweet was going to be: Imagine a world in which people actually use Bing every day. You know, it sounds like science fiction, right? But that's um, the that's why Google's scared. Yeah, because that's the kind of thing that might move people over to. It's going to make me look at Bing. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, yeah, of course. I use. Yep. Uh, I mentioned this before. I use Neva, which is a, a mm-hmm. little startup uh, search engine. Wasn't it an ex Google guy? Yeah, it's former Googlers. Yeah. It's been around for a few years. They do their own spidering. They don't use anybody else's mm-hmm. index. And they have, when you do a search, they have a chat GPT-like agent that will, you know, how Google gives you the knowledge graph, but that's always just like a quote from somewhere, usually Wikipedia. With Neva, I mean, let me let me just, I'll give you an example. I'll just do a search for .NET. Uh, with Neva, yeah. it gives you, and I think it's a good little synthesis Mm-hmm. Um, it's gonna it's gonna generate. There it is. It's in the little dots thing. And you tell me if this is. No. Uh, oh, okay. It's doing it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, They're it's getting it doing from it on the fly. Microsoft right. and Wikipedia. Yeah, it does it on the fly. See, and it does footnotes it pulling in. Yeah. Um, I, I guess so. I guess my only thing here is like, what is like, I, what's the complaint about Google? Like, what? Like, do people go to Google and say uh, it's not doing what I want? I'll like, tell you the complaint. Like, it's yeah. crapped up because crapped up. Google is an ad yeah, company and they're loaded. They're larding up the search results now. Right, the right. first half of the page above the fold is almost all this ads. This is true. I mean, everywhere. Right? I was just searching for something on Amazon today and I was kind of, I was looking at the top, you know, the, the stuff that came up at the top. I was like, this is not what I asked for. Right. And it was because there were ads, right? It's crapped Sponsored up. And uh, yeah. it's what Cory okay. Doctorow calls the insurtification yeah, the well, the insurtification. <laughs> I have to say it yeah, that no, way. I, I saw. I just saw I'm, that. Yeah, I'm I doing like the that. good That's place. Good uh, the insurtification. Yeah, he did that with to the insurtification, as you call it, of TikTok. TikTok. For example, was but he that. used as an example. Yeah. This happens. To everybody he uses Amazon as an example. They yeah. always when you're starting something new, you 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 do it for the yeah, consumer. Make Google's it free. A good example. You make it easy, you, and you want yeah. to build on. And then you do it for businesses. But That's the right. third stage, the insurtification stage, yeah. is when you start saying, okay, now we got everybody locked in, businesses and consumers. Now we start taking some money out and of this And you turn thing. the screws. Yep. Yep. And uh, it happens uh, every time. Yeah. And Google, it's happening to Google. It's insurtified. <laughs> it's just all <laughs> crapping up. Uh, and I think that Google is ripe, <laughs> is ripe for takeover at this point, for disintermediation, wow. that somebody's going to come along. And Bing is a good candidate. Uh, if they, I, well. but here's the problem: Bing, Microsoft's also insurtifying because they have of the course. the overture, whatever it is. You know, there's a lot of Bing rewards points. Come on, guys, coupon codes. I I guess that's it. There's anyone that could out certificate <laughs> search well, better than Google. Let's talk Microsoft. about how certified Windows yeah. has gotten. Like, uh, well, that, you yeah, do exactly. a consumer install of Windows, boy, that's yep. a lot of jumpy, poppy things. Yeah. I just, okay, so right before Microsoft, Richard, you missed so much last week. I'm sorry. You missed so much. Oh, but uh, Microsoft he was, announced he was in England. He had tea with them. I know. 
I'm not, no, I'm just saying, uh, right. But so we're going to have to reference a couple of things from last week. So uh, right before Microsoft released their earnings on Tuesday, I wrote an article about this very topic. I, I you know, I keep talking about the slippery slope thing, but it, it's not just advertising in Windows. It's just the whole direction that it's kind of going for individuals, right? Because you're not paying Microsoft every year, every even every three years, you're you're paying for Windows once and then you use it for the duration for the PC. And Microsoft wants to monetize all those people. It's understandable. And what I would like to see is just the ability to pay to not have that in certification. Sure. It should be um, it should be a part of N365. Yep. You pay, you pay Thank a, you. Exactly. an extra three dollars a month, and your Windows doesn't suck. That's right. And Microsoft's response to that is, well, it, that's like an implicit admission that what yeah. we're doing is terrible. We talked about this. <laughs> to which I respond, yeah. but you're doing it with ad-free. <laughs> it is terrible. Yeah. People it, know it. You know, it just, you're not I mean, telling them something they don't know. Right. <laughs> right. However, there is another thing they could do. Yes. And the other thing they could do is let individuals buy Windows 11 or Windows 10 Enterprise, right? Mm-hmm. Which ah. actually solves the problem. What happened to the um, signature PC? I thought that was one way to address that, right? Yeah, that went away because uh, of internal conflicts at Microsoft, basically. Mm. Um, Guess who, right? The ad division. Right. And you know, uh, I've been running a domain infrastructure in the house, you know, with kids and things like that. So that they knew when they were in trouble, the machine would tell them, please speak right. to your administrator. Uh, <laughs> but, and... I'm ready. It's just the two of us now. I'm trying to retire all of that. And I'm kind of afraid because I think I've been insulated. You have totally been. From a lot of this stuff just because I've always run the enterprise editions of things. Be afraid, Richard. You have been been walked by the line of of people standing outside the door and been allowed to go in. He's he's inside the rope. uh, Yep. Yep. Yeah. And you just, yeah, you don't know what it's like out here in the cold. (laughs) It's not, it's not good. So, okay. I'm going to go there, and I'm going to be horrified, and then we're going to yeah. flip back. To this is, by the way, why I stopped using Google and started using Neva. Neva's five bucks a month. I'm paying not See, to have ads. Five bucks a month, I don't mind. That, that's that's, no. that's here's my sixty dollars. Thanks. That's yeah. right. We talked about Adobe last week as an example of something that's a lot too much money every month. But yeah, there's a lot of services where if it was reasonable, yeah, I, I'm happy to pay for a service. I but I mean fundamentally though. What I would like is just that option. You know, there were many, many examples. Richard just flew and upgraded his, you know, on the flight. And um, there are the people back in the back of the bus and there are people in the front of the bus and Mm -hmm. they have slightly different experiences. And it's not a surprise that you pay more to get to the front of the bus. This is a system that exists, you know, basically everywhere. It's Um, what we do at Twit. If you don't want ads in Twit, you pay seven bucks a month and you're in Club Twit. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's, Netflix is like this. Spotify it's not is anti, like this. It's not uh, anti-democratic uh, because we nope, still offer no, free it's, ad It's very ad much democratic. It's, yeah, we give you yeah. the choice. Yeah. And you don't right. have to get – I don't like – I mean, every time I go to the Financial Times, I just go, oh, I hate that. I know, I know. Because I can't get in at all. But if well, I – you know, Bloomberg is very expensive. It's 30 bucks a month. Or the, the information really is 30 bucks 400 a month. 400 a year, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's really expensive. I buy them both. Um, to me, those are just unreasonable prices for I that agree. kind of a thing. It it chafes me. I to get the to Wall Street Journal that. for forty bucks a year on yeah. sale. You know, yeah. Um, how how are those publications worth more than the Wall Street Journal? Yeah, yeah. Everybody's trying pricing, but you know, at least we're starting to pay for stuff. There was a long time where we were told <laughs> yeah. the internet's going to be free. That's right. It's just the that part where you're the product. Still, a lot of people oh, now are conditioned. I miss you so much. That the internet should be free. Data information mm-hmm. wants to be free, says the hacker ethic, uh, mm-hmm. and so they don't like the idea that they have to pay for stuff. 
But all this I, stuff I does like cost money. Creator, you're, you're paying wanting to get paid for the work that you do is understandable and reasonable. Yeah. Right. Um, well, it's certainly a theme on .NET Rocks we're talking about. Even if you, you're using open source software, we know you are. Yep. You should be contributing. Yes. And, not even, and if you can't write the code, just send them a tip once yes. a month. Like yep. It doesn't take that much. And if everybody did it, all of this stuff is oh far more God, it's incredible. You know, even like um, my little book on Lean Pub, you know, people, I get these emails when people buy the book and it's like, you know, the normal amounts of money. And then every once in a while, someone just sends in like a, like a crazy amount of money. And it's like, I wish I knew who that person was. Yeah. Like, it's incredible. It's but, And I've been that guy, Paul, and I'll tell you why. You, <laughs> you saved my bacon one day, right? Oh, boy. At some point, something's, I'm struggling with something, yeah. and I read it, and you just, you mean, you saved me $200. Like, literally, yeah, it's yeah. like, I was going to spend the whole day beating on this. I found this thing. Sure. I fixed it. And I just love being able to go, here's 50 bucks, like, because yeah, it was yeah. worth more than that to me. Right. Well, that's great. I mean, that's nice. It, it's um, yeah. That so yes, you're you're everyone. Everyone is right. <laughs> you know that um, we're all in violent agreement. We should. Well, we should all. Yeah, we should all be contributing however yeah. we can contribute. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yep. cer certainly, it's an area I'm, I'm paying a lot of attention to. But I, you, you guys have now got me filled with a sense of dread as I'm about to build a couple of a Win 11 <laughs> machines that are going to be consumer mode. I'm like, I can't. We're I, gonna I hate can't, this. Like, is there is there a way I could just zoom into this and watch? <laughs> I, I think we'll have this play out over the show for a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. I'll be a little contrarian. I don't think it's that bad. I, I don't. I'm be. I'm really curious what you'll say after uh, you do this, and like, yeah. well, if you'll say, you know what it is? Well, well, I can live with it. Or boy, this it's is a awful. creeping horror kind of a thing. It's not. It's not going to. It's not like walking into Times Square and be like, oh my god, what is going on? No, here? it's not like that. It's not like but dancing almost. Uh, yeah. I'm yeah. trying to shut down Active Directory in the house. Like it, it doesn't right. need to be here anymore. Sure. It literally was a PDC BDC implementation from 2000. <laughs> I'm impressed. Steadily. I'm impressed that you you, know. you were running Active Directory. Well, I did. I, by the way, I did the same thing, yeah. but I got rid of it many years ago. Yes. I mean, you know, that's hysterical. No. Many and my own Exchange server, so I could look those guys in the oh, eye and say, "I, I feel it. your pain. I feel your pain." You know? I hope that you uh, tailored the error messages so that they said something like, "You must contact your administrator. Yes. You will see him at dinner." Mm. <laughs> no, they definitely. There was several great you know moments like that where it's right. like. Uh, or uh, remotely controlling the machine and just writing on a notepad on the machine. Hi, I'm your laundry. I'm scattered all over the laundry room, and that it makes me feel bad. <laughs> what is? And they just what don't give it, the right? controls back until they, you know, it's the yeah. laundry what cleaned up. That inscrutable message copy machines used to give, like uh, oh, the load letter. Yeah, load letter. Like load letter, load letter, or check key manager. I believe load letter is the reason the movie Office Space exists. <laughs> you know, PC load. It was PC load letter. PC load letter. There yeah. you go. Of course, you think it has something to do with a computer, and it doesn't. No. It's, uh... <laughs> but I realized I trained my daughter so well on the whole your machine doesn't work when you haven't done something that when we finally had the dump truck back into the powerful pole outside the house that cut both internet connections <gasps> at the same time. Their answer to come downstairs is say, what did I do wrong? Oh, <laughs> well, you've trained did, them well. Right. Did you see the street? You know, there's many things I could fix, and dump truck fade is not one of them. <laughs> dump truck fade. That's a very, that's a good excuse. I'm sorry, yeah. son. We're suffering from dump truck fade right now. Well, the number of years I spent, you know, with company data centers trying to give them redundant connections that didn't run down the same pole. Right, you know, right. where it's like one hit and we're out. Like just trying to split all that stuff up. There's only so much you could do in your house. 
All right, back to Windows. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to distract yes. you. I just thought that was an interesting nope. story, and I know you you don't have it here in the notes. Of course, it is just a rumor, but uh, we'll talk about it when it happens. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a very interesting challenge to Google. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know. I, you know, I wonder. I mean, I, I, I think there's a, obviously there's a lot of hype around AI. I, I feel like Google is pretty entrenched. I mean, it's... It, it, well, they say, we, oh, well, hey, we have it. We just didn't, we didn't, you know, we don't trust you with it, so we didn't release it. But now yeah, that OpenAI yeah. has done it, okay, don't worry, we've right. got stuff even right. better. Uh, I, I love that Google had uh, ethics all of a sudden, yeah, and now right. they're like, unleash the hounds. <laughs> yeah, forget you that. Know. Jan LaCoon, yeah. who's in charge of AI at uh, Meta, said, there's nothing special about ChatGPT. We've had that for years. <laughs> okay, well, that's fine. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm, sure but, he, I'm sure he said that to, to, to Sundar, too, and he's thrilled, right? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah we've always had that. Apparently, they've called Larry and, and Sergey back in. Like, it's all hands yeah. on deck. Have they really? But, Is that true? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, they came in. Yeah, they're they're kind of, yeah, they, they're not coming in, like, full time. I, no, no. I don't think they're going to be much use. Sergey doesn't no, wear I shoes disagree. anymore. And, uh, I, exactly. Yeah. I, but I think this is a political thing. Like Google, the office. don't make me call mommy and dad. Yeah, really. Yep. You won't like it. Wow! It'll make you. Well, my, by the way, sad. there's some uh, Microsoft kind of did this with Bill Gates a little bit. You mm-hmm. know, I well, mean, there's some press. Bill's half time at Microsoft to this day. Yeah. I've talked to Microsoft people all the time. He reviews product. Every single yeah. product quote oh, cool. goes before Bill. Oh, that's cool. But he's not the face of it at all. Right. That's the main thing is they've taken away the face part. But I talked to product team guys when they're going before Bill. Like it's a three month practice because he will shred you. I think you that's actually awesome. About. I generally think it makes the product better, and I don't know that anybody else can do it. And right. somehow he still has this gravity that when he sees that three teams are actually building the same thing, he can sure. essentially order a project and say, you know, thou shalt contribute two <laughs> devs, each of you, to this project, and all of you will use it. He is, right. And he I don't know that anybody a, else could do that. He doesn't have a title or official role. He's no longer on the board. No, he's an advisor. Just an advisor. Yeah. Interesting. There's a I few other that. interesting advisors floating around out there. Huh. Hmm. Where's Ray Ozzy these days? I thank you for saying that. I literally, I was just thinking about Ray Ozzy because, again, last week I think we were talking about, I think it was last week, but this notion that, you know, Sachin Nadella gets all this credit for the cloud and everything, but really this started under Steve Ballmer. But really, it did, but it started because of Ray Ozzy, who was then chief science, what was he, chief science officer, I guess, chief, is that the right word? No, chief software architect, sorry. And uh, he was the one who pushed Microsoft down this cloud path in the same way that Bill Gates used to write these big internet tidal wave memos and Mm -hmm. so forth. He wrote the big memo about the cloud. And uh, honestly, in many ways, that might be the most prescient memo ever written at Microsoft. And that guy was not really around that long. No, and I don't know that it resonated well with him. He's got a new company called Blues Wireless. It's an IoT company. Yeah, what's he doing? He's, He's... you know, doing he's one of the the founders. So they're yeah. uh, they been they were in stealth mode for a couple of years. They're up and doing a thing now. Uh, they're working closely with AT and T on you know hardware that will work automatically with AT and T's network. So yeah, idea. And is this in uh, the Seattle area or where is he? I don't know where he moved to. Interesting. But, yeah, he's um because he was never a Seattleite, right? Like I, no, that I mean, was not was really probably a thing from for him. Boston or something. Where I don't even know where it was from. Yeah. But. He was, yeah. What he yeah, was about, he was, he was Lotus yeah. Notes. And, yep, that's right. 
Well, uh, and then he recreated. He was, it again he was at Lotus times. Notes before <laughs> IBM bought. Before it, right? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But his whole thing was kind of uh, cloud collaboration, gr- the groupware stuff. Groupware, yeah, like yeah. Groove. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Groove was his thing at uh, Microsoft. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Whatever happened yeah, to that? It was, it was very cool. They turned it into a music service called Groove. <laughs> no, they, they, just, they ran out of names. Come on. Yeah, they sure did. <laughs> hey, I want to take a little break. Well, we'll groove. come back. There's more to talk about. Insider yeah. build. Uh, there's uh, something very exciting happening to snipping tools. I know you're you're going you're gonna to love <laughs> yeah, this. We're going to spend half an hour on that. Yeah, that's going to be great. Uh, earnings. There's still some more stuff to talk about. Richard Campbell's back. Paul Therott's here. Windows Weekly continues in a bit. I want to say hello to a brand new sponsor. I uh, had a really great call with them uh, a couple of weeks ago. Miro, M-I-R. Do you know Miro? Miro is super cool. We've started playing with it. I created an account immediately. You could do this too. You can create a free account and uh, see what it is. You're tempted when you first look at it to say, oh, this is a whiteboard. I get it. It's so much more than a whiteboard. Miro is designed for teams. <clears throat> teams who have multiple tools they use. You know, you're going from tab to tab, workspace to workspace, tool to tool. And uh, you know what happens? when you, It's the same thing when you walk through a door. You get context shift ideas fly out. What was I? I, why did I launch this? I know there's, with Miro, that doesn't have to happen. You're in one tool. You're doing it all inside. It's a collaborative visual whiteboard. But again, that doesn't say it. It doesn't say it enough. It's so cool. It brings all your great work together no matter where you are. Whether you're working from home or in a hybrid workspace, everything comes together in one place online. We want to start using Miro uh, for our shows, which I think is going to be really interesting. You can You could do, it could be as simple with Miro as... Uh, kind of a dream board. Here's some ideas. We're going to put them together in inspiration. It could be a mind map. It could be a Kanban. So you keep track. You're in charge of this. You're responsible for that. Move it over. Miro's infinite collaborative whiteboard gives everybody a space to create, to open up and to do stuff. Uh, you're, if you're a product team, you've got a, a, a forever space where you can just drag and drop the insights and data never lost. Nothing's ever lost. Nothing's ever forgotten. Miro covers a breadth of use cases, so users can build visual assets. You can present with Miro, present findings. You can run brainstorms with cross-functional teams. You can build out your product vision on a Miro board by brainstorming with sticky notes or comments, live reactions. If you start using Miro and you start using it in your meetings, you'll never do a meeting again without Miro. You've got voting. You've got timers. Uh, you've got a way to kind of come to consensus quickly. It transforms these online meetings. Nowadays, we're all hybrid. We're, we've got remote people. We've got in office people. Miro is a great way to bring those teams together, working together. Miro users report saving up to 80 hours per user per year. It's like, you know, two weeks of vacation time extra by streamlining conversations, cutting down meetings, and when you do meet, making those meetings insanely productive. So Miro gives your team the chance to always stay connected. The board's always there. You can always check in anytime you want. Real-time information. You can you, you can make integrations with Miro, so it's automatically updated. I'm not surprised. More than a million people use Miro every month. Have you used it yet? It's pretty incredible. It's it's, but you can't, it's hard to describe. That's the problem. So here's what I want you to do: 
Just go to Miro, M-I-R-O dot com slash podcast. Miro dot com slash podcast. Your first three boards for free. Start working better with Miro. You, you got to do this. There's And then, oh, please, once you're on the website, start playing with the different templates. They've got a really wonderful section in the Miro uh, website uh, where people have uploaded their pre, you know, their work. And there's all sorts of cr like crazy cool stuff, but it'll give you a much better idea of why companies like Cisco and Walmart and Volvo and Deloitte and Okta and use Miro to get their work done. Uh, it's just incredible. I mean, it really is a free-form place you can do whatever you want. And take a look at all the integrations. Take a look at their uh, their their cases. There's stuff. There was a Harry Potter, uh, I think, used by the British government. I think template from <laughs> from Harry Potter uh, that they were using. I, it, it's incredible. It's just incredible. Take a look at it. And uh, there's one that has the uh, the Beatles in it. It's very some very creative people are using Miro to do amazing things. Just look at the Miro verse. That's what they call it to explore what people using Miro have done. You, you you can get some great ideas. Here's some icebreakers for meetings. Uh, incredible stuff, incredible stuff. This is uh, these are all real uh, templates that people have uploaded in the Miroverse from, you know, from their projects. And this is the only way you can really understand. Look at Midnight Sailboat Retrospective. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it's the event retro and happy hour. Character mix and ice match icebreaker Valentine's Day love. People, there's a memory game. People doing. Here's the Harry Potter from the UK government. <laughs> Harry Potter retrospective. This you could have taken with you on your trip, Richard. M i r o miro dot com slash podcast. Check it out and get your first three boards for free. It's the only way really to understand what you could do with Miro's. I did get to a Broadway play in London while I was did there. Did you go to the West End? What did you yeah, see? We, I saw Juliet, Ooh. which is a very meta show where it's about you Romeo have William and Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah, you have William Shakespeare and his wife rewriting uh, Romeo and Juliet with the, from the point of view of Juliet not being dumb and drinking the poison but going why why <laughs> should i die <laughs> why should i yeah. and even if he well, were he is what about me oh, what about yeah well that's a anyway different... it's it's good fun and uh that's and it's, it's what's that's what i do if i go to new york i go to a show if you gotta go to a show if you go to london you gotta go to the west end there's amazing yeah. theater there yeah you know there's a little little theater it was a lot of fun nice yeah, it's a good it's a great way to spend some time good jealous evening. very jealous <laughs> Yeah, I used to do that when I would go on business trips to New York by myself. Uh, I would just go to the box office. You'd always get a single ticket. Right. Because, you know, well, people. Yeah, I, I think we made 40 pounds for four tickets each. You know, it, like it was. Yeah. That's nice. It was a, that's a good Because deal. it was day of, right? It's yeah. It's sort of stub hub effect. It was yeah. Really you go to the box office. There's always like, you know, there were three people bought seats and there's this one. And usually you can get really good seats that way, these single seats, because they want to get, they want people mm -hmm. on them. Anyway. Yeah. I don't know how this turned into the theater show, <laughs> but I'm a theater head, so. Windows 11 Insider Preview Build 25290 heads to Dev Channel. Yeah. I wish I had some interesting news here. Um, 
<laughs> Last week, Richard, what you missed was that the only new feature in a build was a Facebook Messenger widget. Oh, boy. This week, there were two widgets, uh, two new widgets, I should say. Um, one is for Spotify and one is for Phone Link. Uh, so obviously one of those is a third-party app. The other one is the, the application built into Windows. But this is all the, uh, I think it's... Microsoft opened up the capability for third-party developers to create widgets, I think, late last year. And we're starting to see that. And, um, yeah, that's not that exciting, is it? This kind of reminds me of uh, the the Longhorn sidebar, you know? Mm -hmm. It was like, uh, we have this other thing. It's web-based. other thing that whenever I get anywhere near the right side of my screen, stuff pops out and interferes with what I'm trying to do. Yeah, exactly. That thing. Yeah, so now it's on the left, so it's completely different. Um <laughs> Yeah, you're going to love that when you get to Windows 11. Um, so, well, actually, it's in Windows 10, too. Uh, it's called, what's it called? News and, news and something? I don't know. But you don't get it in the lower system. left corner, right? You don't. Yeah, but if you move the um, start button over to the left, it, it makes it a button next oh. to the start button. So it's not all the way over. Hmm. Anyhow, that's more time than that. And topic that's as exciting as Windows is getting these days. <laughs> I'll wait to hear the next story. So, <laughs> last month, uh, we learned that Microsoft was going to be adding screen recording functionality to the snipping tool, which, by my count, is the 17th way you can take a screenshot in Windows 11. <laughs> and um, they tested it first in the dev channel. So, this week, they released, this past week, I should say, they released a, um, a build to the beta. No, no, actually, it's not a new build. I think they've just released it to the beta channel. Right. So, um, yeah, exciting. I I don't know how many people need this kind of thing, but I do agree it should be part of Windows. I don't have sure. a problem with it. This I, right I kind of like the idea that we should have a, a continuous recording of what we're doing on our machines. Yeah. You know, yeah, loop like, anyway, I mean, the number of, you, cause you never have that stuff turned on when something goes wrong. Right. Like right? a dashboard then cam. Then, you know, and I've been the IT guy where it's like, it just broke. It just broke. It's not breaking now. Yep. You know, maybe because you here. look at the film and you're like, actually, you did it. Yeah. <laughs> you're an idiot. Here? Like, yeah. What would you record? Would you record all mouse movements, keystrokes, events? It'd be like yeah, a, a, a big event log kind of. I think just a whole a copy of the whole screen real time. Right. Yeah. Just what you were doing. Just keep it going. Right. The, 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 oh, God, the most recent be a 60 slow minutes. you down like crazy. Yeah, no, it's got to be invisible. But it's, you know, sure. the, listen, the CPUs in these machines. Yeah, we have a lot of head. They're. Yeah, they're smoking cigarettes and playing poker, right? Like, yeah. they don't have a lot to do. <laughs> well, they're just, just hanging out. No, it's, uh, what was that? Yeah. What yeah. are those Intel uh, um, processor uh, vulnerabilities? Um, uh, Meltdown Inspector? Oh, thank you. Well, just, it's because of the uh, the work we did to fix those two things. That's why yeah. it's 5% slower. It has nothing to do with the recording. <laughs> Actually, I just saw there was a bug in Discord, which is the chat program we use for Club Twit, that slowed some NVIDIA... GPUs, particularly the 3080 and uh, 3090, I think, down 200 megahertz. It was just a bug. Ooh. 200 megahertz? <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's like at a party like it's 1999. <laughs> I'm working here. Look, look for the turbo button. There's got to be a turbo button. <laughs> uh, um, Access 95 is not loading fast enough. Uh, <laughs> weird things. And, and would you have to do reboot it to reset it? No. It was, right. they, have to, uh, re, they have to fix it. And NVIDIA's put out a patch. <clears throat> yeah. uh, and Discord, I mean, how could you write a user 
space program that would slow your GPU right. down. It must yeah, be you're doing... not supposed to be able oh, to Oh, I do could that. do it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, Although yeah. It's... You're doing some sort of weird rendering or something in the background. Although yeah. it's video driver, they're mostly ring zero. Just anyway. push it all onto right. the CPU. That will, <laughs> that will do it immediately. The um, problem is that a lot of gamers run Discord at the same time as yeah. they're gaming. So yep. yeah. this was a particular problem. Oh, I'm sure I'm sure there were angry, loud noises. Discord recently started rolling out, Scooter X has this in our chat room, uh, an update that enables AV1 streaming with GeForce RTX 40 series cards. This update appears to have introduced the memory some memory clock issues on some RTX 30 cards. <laughs> if you have an RTX wow. 40 card, you're fine. Maybe it's just a, a subtle way of getting people with 3080s to upgrade to 4090s. I yeah. don't know. There is a glut of them. <clears throat> so Yeah. That's ridiculous. Oh, man. Anyway, there is that's a fix. A there, odd is one. For, there is a fix for that. But yeah, that's a weird one. Just shows you. Huh. But I agree I agree with you. Uh you have enough headroom, you probably have enough drive space. You probably could. I'm sure there's uh I'm I know there are uh tools in used in business to do periodic recordings of your screen mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so they could see when you're surfing porn on company time. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, I, Windows had a screen recorder tool, right? If you were having a problem, you could go back and duplicate it and record it and then send it to the IT help desk. Yeah. And then um, there was, I remember um, tools where they would record, like a journal, like all the things yeah. you did. Right. Not so much for troubleshooting or to spy on you, but just kind of, you know, here's what I did. So remember the, the camera Google put out yeah. that, you would wear, that you would wear around? It was, was a Gordon Bell's idea back way back in the day. His wife, uh, Gwen Bell, he was a, uh, at DEC for years, famous engineer. His, uh, he started the Computer History Museum. His wife, Gwen Bell, had Alzheimer's, so he made this. He said, the idea uh-huh. is we'll wear this camera around, and you'll have a recording of your whole day, and you'll always know mm-hmm. what you did. The only problem is the camera's shooting from basically from your, from your yeah. na- from your belly button, and it's a, such a weird angle. We're just not you. Everything we we have a a roll of film. Well, it was a digital camera, but we but we gave a camera to my son when he was a little kid, and he ran around the house and took pictures. And all the pictures was like the the kitchen counter from below the counter. You know, like it was all <laughs> yeah, a picture a picture that's of my life, knees. Right? Yeah, but that's what he yeah, sees. that's what the world looked like to him. Yeah, that's, that's what your dog sees. <laughs> yeah, all it right, was a little weird. You say there are, we talked about earnings last week, Microsoft's quarterly report came out two yeah. weeks ago, but there is more uh, because uh, other companies now have checked in, including Intel. Yeah, mm, Intel boy. and AMD, yeah. So not surprisingly, Intel, which is perhaps overly reliant on the PC industry, experienced some problems in the fourth quarter, as did the PC industry. Um, so their revenues dropped by 32%. Um their uh, net earnings, uh, basically profits, was uh, down sixty percent. I, I don't care. I, uh, people seem to focus on that number a lot. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. But the revenues to me is the big one. Um, and then full year, their revenues were down twenty percent year over year. Is it, and you think this is just a reaction to the overbuy during the pandemic? It's, the markets just tapered off again, and you're seeing this is a trailing indicator. Right? Yeah, this is a um, the correction. Yeah, yeah. So it's not that big a deal. I just I immediately started looking for the layoffs and couldn't find any. Right. Uh, uh, sorry, but yeah, God, I'm sorry. Yeah, then we and then I found uh, one of the insider groups saying, "Oh, they cut wages across the board." Right. But the, you're running the mill, and workers are all taking a five percent hit rather than have a five percent layoff. But I, they scaled it up as you got more senior VPs, ten percent senior leadership, 
15% and the CEO 25%. Now, you know, 25% off of $80 million, somehow the boys exactly. survive. Like, life is hard. Yeah. One less yacht. Yeah, you know. not enough yachts. But you know what? I, I that is a that's a very interesting response to a problem that a lot of big tech companies are, are ha- facing, mm-hmm. and it's not what everyone else is doing. No, um, we kind of half joked. It wasn't really a joke, but this notion that Satya Nadella, having flown in his private jet to Davos last week, right, announced some initiative and then laid off a bunch of ten thousand yeah. people. You know, um, that kind of thing. There's a disconnect there, and I, I feel like this is an. I don't. I don't know what would happen if you polled employees, right? Yeah, is I'm this sure a better? Is this better for morale? And and I, yeah, I was in the situation with a company that I had a leadership position in in 2008, 2009. Yeah, where we did, we, one group that I was working with, we did do layoffs, and the other group, the management team took a huge pay cut, and everybody took a small pay cut. And by the end of the year, we'd recovered and were able to catch up everybody's wages. Like it, it worked out. But I thought the uh, the morale of the pay cut folks was higher, right? That, that you know the language there was: listen, we are not overweight. We don't have you know fat to cut. You're you guys important. are all valuable, right? And we want to keep the team together, so we can do it if we do this. Uh, I, and it's hard to think of Intel that way with that many employees and that gigantic of a company, but right. That's what this move seems to make. And it's smart that the leadership takes a bigger cut, even though admittedly they have absurd wages. Right. No, I, I, I think it's a, it's, it's a good way to do it. It's I, symbolic, I think though, have, right? I mean, come on. It's, well, but, well, but so I don't know. I mean, I, there's a, we talked, we've talked about this over different shows, this kind of weird immaturity in big tech where they over hired during the pandemic. Yeah. And now they're correcting it. And I don't understand why either of those things happened, <laughs> you know. And to me, this is, I think, a better solution. Unless, of course, the real problem is, look, we really do have too many employees. I mean, Yeah, that's a quite, uh, and therein lies the real question. Yeah. I mean, a 5% cut isn't nothing. And if you think about your, your regular your working engineer in Intel, right. whose interest weights just doubled. Yep. And oh, then yes, also his right. wages yep. get hit. Real world, like, yep. That's pretty tough. You know, that's, that's right. not a small thing. Like, we're going to get pressed on both sides. I just had an old guy conversation at the gym today about this, about how the price of everything is up, you know, milk, <laughs> gas, eggs, you know, whatever. Yeah. And uh, we were mostly we we're just laughing at the, the crazy, like, this is what we're talking about now, you know. But uh, but but these are real world costs for real, you know, people. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, you're right. So 5% cut and then everything is uh, more expensive. So it's almost like a, you know. Yeah, you're getting not having a job, ends. though. Better than not yes, the alternative is being laid off in the midst of tens of thousands of layoffs yep. in the tech industry. Yep. The you know Intel has unique problems though because they are also investing enormous sums of money right now in chip fabrication facilities in the United States and in Europe and elsewhere probably. Yeah, with um, a lot of government help too. Yeah, in the United States at least, oh, probably everywhere actually. <laughs> but yes, okay, fair enough. But still, but still, real world dollars for them yeah. as well, and there it's very risky. Um, and I, I don't know that there's a lot of um, faith out in the world that they're going to be able to pull this off. Yeah, I mean, I would argue they've got to keep those initiatives going because they did make government government guarantees. It's like you yep. give us this money, we will build this thing. That's right. Cutting staff would be a mistake. Keeping yep. those people in place, but cutting their wages, you can make that fly at least from the government side. Yeah. Yeah.
The, um, and, the, you know, the ongoing problem for Intel, which is something we're going to see again with AMD and something we saw at Microsoft. Actually, that was the, the big news in some ways with Microsoft was them coming up and saying, hey, this current quarter, uh, it's going to be even worse. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, Intel said that as well. In fact, they expect to lose money in the current quarter. So in other words, not turn a profit. Yeah. Um, they're they're, they're <laughs> Yeah. They're actually they did uh, the quarter ending last the last quarter um they posted a loss as well i should have said uh, seven hundred thousand dollars which is kind of astonishing on the billions you're talking about i like, know 14 billions in revenue and seven hundred thousand seven and that loss yeah that's sort of a point where you say hey you know maybe i won't make a payment here and just at least be in the mm-hmm. positive isn't there some lot. accounting thing we can yeah, do I, I i suspect that that was the result of the best accounting <laughs> yes. so so it's I probably can, it was probably I know how to make it only a seven hundred thousand dollar loss, not a two billion dollar yeah, loss. Exactly. Exactly. So AMD, interestingly, had a much more positive quarter, but there were a couple of asterisks to mm-hmm. it. Um so uh, they had a net income of twenty one million dollars and revenues of five point six billion. And I always like to compare those numbers because um you know, this is like Burger King and McDonald's, right? Yes. So they're, not, they're um, what a third of the size. About a third. They're about a third. They're yeah. a little bit more at this time. Yeah, five point six versus fourteen from a mm-hmm. revenue perspective. But their net income was down ninety eight percent. Like, yikes! Uh, revenues were up though, uh, which is interesting. But that was because of a data center business, and I think I I didn't I don't have a handle on what the other thing is, but it's some kind of an investment they made. It was some kind of a. Just a money kind of a thing that had nothing to do with operations. Yeah, so this um, might be CFO games moving money around. To yeah, but they were upfront about that, and yeah. they said, look, um, revenues are going to be down in this quarter uh, compared uh, to the prior quarter a year ago. Uh, the choir, sorry, the same quarter a year ago. So uh, revenues were up 16% for that quarter. Revenues they're expecting this quarter will be down 10%. And then the PC part of their business – Experienced a bigger percentage loss in Intel's actually fifty one percent. It fell in revenues down to nine hundred three wow. million dollars. Not even a billion dollar business. No, but it's and it's these are all trailing indicators. We saw this with the PC sales slumping. It's like yep. this is going to yep. hit all the hardware folks That's as right. they report in because people didn't buy stuff. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and then uh, AMD did great in the data center, which you know I don't you know, care about personally too, too much. Other than that, it saved the quarter for them in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was up 42% by revenue uh, to 1.7 billion. So. so what are they doing that they're making good data center sales? Just right, right pricing? I th- No, I think, th- I, I wouldn't call what AMD is doing like a hybrid architecture exactly, mm-hmm. but AMD has been doing that kind of multi-core thing. Maybe it is sort of a hybrid architecture. I feel like they're just... Yeah, my, my experience with multi-core and AMD is that their their pipelines were shorter, yeah. so it was easy to put more cores on a die, okay. and that was only bad when you were paying by the core for licensing. Yes, like right. if I was buying SQL Server, I kind of wanted to buy it with an Intel chipset because I used fewer right. cores to get the same workloads done. Uh, where yeah, otherwise so they that's... generally have an advantage. More cores that are short, right. quick, and you know move through a lot of workloads. And I think this hybrid architecture is even more important in the data center than it is on computers, frankly. Um, And I think the race right now is to get there in that market as well. So, yeah. More unknown workloads. Generally speaking, the shorter pipeline is better. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, we're just treading water here. And then um, I usually like to, when I do, I do an annual thing on PC sales. I mean, I do a quarterly thing as well, but the big one is annual. So I did that 
couple, I don't know if that was last week or two weeks ago, but a couple weeks ago. Yeah, a couple weeks ago. So I'd like to do the same thing for smartphones. But what happened last year was IDC released their numbers in January and then Gartner did, waited until March <laughs> for some reason. So it's like, okay. So uh, again, this year, IDC has come up with their numbers. Uh, Gartner has not. I'm, I've just decided to, look, I'm going to write this up because I, you know, it may be two months. Uh, but the smartphone industry is experiencing exactly the same problem that we saw on PCs. Um, they declined by 18% in Q4 and 11% overall for the entire year. So it's not somebody picking one device over another. It's people, They're not fewer people devices. buying stuff. That's yeah. right. It uh, was the lowest annual shipment total since 2013. Wow. That's it was still an emerging market five years yeah. into the iPhone. Right. That that time, right, that date is closer to the release of the iPhone than it is to now. Yeah. Which is like hard to even contemplate. It's amazing. But it, it is, I, mean, we, I watched part of the Samsung announcements this morning and yeah. like, we're out of ideas for phones, right? It's <laughs> yep. just like, this one's got five cameras. They're all slabs of black glass with bumps on them. That's right, and you know, you pick your pick your poison. You could spend twelve hundred dollars all day long, but will it change anything substantial? I mean, the the two hundred megapixel camera on the Ultra Twenty Three, that's astonishing. But I don't need to see my pores that close up. Yeah, exactly. That's a lot, <laughs> right? It's like the CIA license plate photo from space. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know. I mean, I, to me, the big thing that could happen in smartphone photos or in just camera lenses would be having the three primary lenses be closer to each other in terms of capability is mm -hmm. a huge gulf there. And then um, this kind of notion of like periscope telephoto lenses, which could make yeah three and five uh, times zoom. optical zoom be yeah. that much better. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to see this in the 23 line where it's mostly 12 megapixel cameras and then yeah. one other one, like there's a, there's That's a narrow angle, spend, there's a wide yeah. angle, there's a selfie, and then yep. there's a big camera and it's either a 50 or 200. Yep. But it's yeah, all I guess that's more the, than you need, really. It's probably, yeah, right. I mean, I, I don't know for everybody, but I bet 90-something percent of most photos are just taken off the main lens anyway. Yeah. You know? you know, if we thought about it, we wouldn't be taken in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Just, that's the just whole a point reflex. of it, shoot and click. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So there's anyway, that. And in some ways, I'm I'm content to see that in general, like, you know what this is? All inflation fighting. This is folks pulling back from spending, maybe to take mm -hmm. the inflation off a couple of notches right, uh, right. And, and calm governments down because nobody likes an excited government. <laughs> <laughs> calm them down. That's true. Yeah. Hey, did, speaking of licensing, did you guys or do you, maybe Richard, you have more of an opinion on this. Note the mm -hmm. change in licensing from Oracle on Java. Oh, yeah. Uh, I know I haven't really paid a whole lot of attention to it. All I know is that Java people are unhappy a lot. Well, the, it potentially could cost a lot more, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really reading the room, you know. <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, what, what, what's going on in the world that you think this makes sense right now? Yeah, it's a great, great time to, to be stabbing the open source folks in the leg. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, Java... I've only had to buy a few Oracle products over the years, and generally I found their licensing model along the lines of, so how much money do you have? Right. Like, we, <laughs> we'll take it. <laughs> they literally asked us for financial statements. Yeah. And we're like, wow. how about no? Wow. You know, you, know, you know what? There are alternatives that don't involve you. Right. So, yeah, 1200 bucks <sighs> for uh, full bore Java development suite from, uh, from Oracle today. 
Yeah, Starting tying... with Java 11, there'll no longer be free downloads. Yeah, you have to have a commercial license, I think, yeah. to and that's, get an update. That's about the same number as an MSDN premium, right? That's a lot. Yeah. 1200 bucks. And, yeah. Yeah, and you're paying for... When you get an MSDN Premium, you're obviously paying for Studio with a bunch of the, the premium features, not the enterprise features. Yeah. There's very many of those. And then also, so I think it was like four tech support calls in your right. in your package <laughs> or two. I think um, this must be a reflection of what the market for Java is today, right? It's it's primarily like a server-based back-end kind of yeah. a thing now. This is it's infrastructure no software, right? This runs yeah. banks. This yeah. runs, you know, enterprises and... Uh, it's all long term. It's lock in. There's not a lot of not a lot of greenfield in some places. Like if you've got a good de- Java crew making yep. new apps, makes perfect sense. But I don't know that any startups are thinking, "Hey, we're gonna the you three know, of us are gonna kick off in Java." Someone, some company, I don't know, some giant software company should make something that's like Java that has like a programming language like Java and a runtime that's like Java, and then they should open source it. Um, I wonder. I'm surprised no one's done that. No, it's strange. There's an open. <laughs> there is an open JDK. In fact, that's what I yeah. generally well, also use. Called .net, <laughs> yeah, which is basically yeah, yeah. Um, open JDK. Open JDK. But I think that there's. I don't know. I think there's still some proprietary stuff in there. Well, Microsoft's now making a version of Open JDK. Right. Oh, and many Linuxes come with Open JDK. It's like riding a bike, yeah. Richard. You know, once you've <laughs> Well, and, you know, I'm just throwing on that old history hat since I seem to do that a fair bit. Like Microsoft was making a version of Java in the late 90s that was almost too popular. It made Sun right. microsystems right. very nervous as they started optimizing it for Windows. Yep. That was um, Anders Halsberg's original job at Microsoft was building That's Java right. tooling. Yeah, the window, what do they call it? Win, um, what's called WCF, the framework he created for Windows, uh, for G, Visual J++. J++, yeah. The Windows, what was that called? The Windows... <laughs> Windows something something I don't know. Anyway, it was the predecessor to and, and then they got the cease and desist. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the story of Brad Silverberg signing that deal with Sun in the first place. Is that right. as before the ink was dry, both companies were in violation of the agreement, right? Like it, it, <laughs> it, it was a very much a forced yep. marriage that nobody could comply sure. with. So it was just a question of are we going to look yeah. the other L- way? Literally a den of snakes. Yeah. yeah. And and ultimately, when the consent when the not the consent decree because that was another thing happening about the same time, uh, when the uh, when the cease and desist happened, they had to purge yep. the JVM from Microsoft. Everything. They, had to, they yep. had to show that they had eliminated it everywhere that there was none of the code showing anywhere. But that's, right. that's why C sharp exists because in the end they needed a enterprise class object oriented language. Mm-hmm. And that was Java. Now that they couldn't have Java, they need something else. And so, right. and that's the uh, risk of doing this, of course. I think maybe what they're yeah. saying is, look, everybody's going to use OpenJDK for free. Uh, yeah. If you want support from Oracle, you know, yeah. you're not you're going to have to pay for that. I guess. And I and like said, it looks like the MSDM Premium Bundle. Yeah, yeah. It's very, it's very similar. Yeah, that sounds mm-hmm. like. Yeah, yeah. And uh, somebody in the chat room saying, and I think this is probably true, that everybody, every Java developer he knows uses. Open JDK. Nobody, nobody yeah, wants to use well. Oracle's stuff. No, and they're on, and they're using Spring or Tomcat. Like, yeah, you know, there's a lot of ways to Java. Let's stay, let's and stay open. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, let me take another break. Uh, we are going to continue on with Richard and uh, Paul. I yeah. forgot his name, but he's. I think he's still the other guy. Yeah, yeah, the I've other guy. That's okay. Uh, and does <laughs> <laughs> all the writing? You know that guy? Yeah, that guy. That guy <laughs> the guy keeps writing the books and stuff. Yeah. Uh, Paul's doing a great job, by the way, with um, hands-on uh, Windows. 
you're now talking about the different accounts you can create, which I think is really important. Uh, you know, the, the we're you're way ahead of us. You record stuff like a, yeah. all at once, but yeah. I think we're doing the um, local accounts and this all is that the stuff. Uh, this is the Richard Campbell model. This is the mm. thing I always was resentful of with Richard. Like he. Twenty podcasts a day. Was, yeah. yeah, no. Yeah, well, all my know. shows for March are in the can. You know? Wow, yeah. look at him! No, that's awesome. I love that. So this yeah. is my chance to do something like that. Yeah, well, we appreciate yeah. it. I highly recommend it. You get into a groove. Although I found I can record like three .NET rocks in a day. Wow, it's fine. But aren't you the exhausted four? by the end of that? Oh yeah, like, no, you're you're yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. But the four, if you do four, if we're, we have to do four for whatever reason. That fourth one better be damn good. Well, you got to <laughs> you, know? you have the right guest. you got someone yes. who could just <clears throat> fly on their own, right? Yeah, it's like, like, talk <laughs> Win API, go. Right. Yeah. I do that have... or it's just going to be a bunch of fart jokes, like yeah. one or the other. <laughs> I, have, I have shows like that where I just go, relax. <laughs> yeah, let them, let, let that great guest rip. Mm-hmm, and right. uh, and you can, your, your brains are cooked. But we, years ago, we did like. 24 hours of dotnet rocks where we oh, just boy. recorded shows back to back over a weekend yeah and uh it was a dump i think we made 36 nice shows huh? by the end of that <laughs> right and many of them we you know the, all the ones towards the end of each day not that good <laughs> a little silly and, a little punch drunk yeah. and uh and a few of them actually expired oh boy like, that's my fear changed that's yeah. why we you don't want to get, get too far ahead because i mean I, hands on windows you can because it you know that's that's going to yeah. stay for a while they're well, only telling you windows happens, every week like we can we've done this once so far but something happens where there's an update and it's like well, let's just record this we'll slip it into the next it'll be the next show now yeah. right so right. It's, you can do that kind of stuff yeah uh you're wondering how to get it you have to be a member of club twit twit.tv slash club twit seven bucks a month you get that you get hands on macintosh with micah you get the untitled linux show you get all sorts of great uh, benefits and ad free versions of all of our shows it's really i think a very uh, good way to support what we do we really appreciate all of our club members our show today brought to you by melissa melissa is a leading provider of global data quality identity verification and address management solutions today they announced a successful partnership with TomTom. You know the name TomTom. They're a global pioneer in SatNav, satellite navigation for consumer use. Why would Melissa partner with TomTom? Well, this is really cool. By layering TomTom's comprehensive global address data, location data, and country data on top of Melissa's industry-leading data quality, enrichment, and identity verification tools, Melissa has now got a really rich way of taking any address, any contact, and 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 making it this super rich database of information about any client, any customer. They really are the address experts. When you're talking about postal addressing, global postal addressing, multi-language, multi-format support is absolutely vital. Every country is different. Our zip codes are not like your zip codes, Richard. And and if if you go to Venice, they don't have street numbers. I mean, they have street names. They don't have house numbers. <laughs> you just have to know, I guess. But TomTom can handle this. They ingest the country data into one global, and this is important, standardized data set while supporting multiple languages. So TomTom handles the various addressing nuances country by country, making Melissa's solution stack efficient, seamless, and truly international, truly global. So now Melissa can increase its global support across, get ready for this, 240 countries and territories. That's pretty impressive. 
That's basically fully global. Uh, Greg Brown, who's the VP of Global Marketing, and Melissa says, by adding TomTom's rooftop precision capabilities to our solutions, Melissa's customers can rest assured their data is not only clean and verified, but also pinpoint accurate and of high value to business operations. It's ensuring that restaurants are found, that packages are delivered to the right place, that on-demand drivers find their passengers, and so much more. You know, poor data quality costs you. And it and it goes it continues to go bad. It doesn't just, you know, degrade once. It continues to degrade. On average, organizations lose fifteen million dollars a year on bad data. You know, mailings to the wrong address or uh, contact completely lost off you know, disappears. Uh and of course the longer this bad data stays in your system, the more losses you accumulate. By leveraging TomTom maps, points of interest seven-digit postal codes, address points, and a routing API. Melissa is providing you with best-of-breed address engine. It's critical to business needs worldwide. Since 1985, Melissa's been doing this. They've specialized in global intelligence solutions to help organizations unlock accurate data for a more compelling customer view. Melissa, of course, treats your data like it's theirs with kid gloves, they undergo continuous independent security audits because they're committed, of course, to data security and privacy. And, of course, compliance is important for you, as it is for Melissa. They're a SOC 2 compliant, HIPAA compliant, GDPR compliant. So you know your data is in the best hands. You can really trust Melissa. Make sure your customer contact data is up to date. Get started today. 1,000 records clean for free. You could do it on-prem. You could do it with a secure FTP upload and download. You could do it as a SaaS. They have a very good API. You can actually add it to your customer service software or uh, to your mailing software or, you know, what have you, your shopping carts. Check it out, melissa.com slash twit. And get started with 1,000 records clean for free so you can see how well it works. Melissa, M-E-L-I-S-S-A dot com slash twit. We thank them so much for supporting uh, Windows Weekly, and uh, we thank you for supporting us by going to that address so they know you saw it here, melissa.com. You know, tweet. we send out uh, run-as radio mugs to listeners who write a comment on our show or Facebook or things like that. And I think I tried three times to send a mug to a guy named oh, yeah. Cheers. Oh, yeah. Just <laughs> not going to make not it. Happening. I'm sorry. We'd, every year with uh, our Christmas cards, <laughs> it's funny because I used to get um, Bill Atkinson was one of the you know, the key guys in the design of the Macintosh and the Lisa, he was the guy who did quick draw. He, yeah. he's like a photo nut and he had a, an app for a while called photo card and we would use those as our Christmas card. And Bill, every year, Bill would say, could you please get your address data together? Cause he would by hand go through it and fix it all. And he'd oh. say, I don't want to do this anymore. He finally stopped doing the app. So maybe we take some, we take some of the credit for getting him out of that business. It was a lot of work, but uh, boy, they were great. Uh, Christmas cards. Now we use uh, Melissa, of course, and uh, it's an easy thing. The other thing that happens is you, and you don't want to do this either, Rich, is you mail out multiple mugs to the same person. Yeah. No, that's definitely happened. That's Somewhere there's good. a postal worker in Africa that has three of your mugs and he's just <laughs> exactly. waiting for the next one to come. Exactly. You know? In Venice, they're all piling up at the Grand Canal. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why the cruise ships can't fit in there anymore. All the mugs at the bottom <laughs> of the canal. All the, the mugs at the bottom of the canal. All right. Uh, where do we drop off here? Did we talk about smartphone sales? Did we get to yes, that? Yes, we did. All right. Yeah, we're on to, uh, we got some dev stuff. Let's do some .NET stuff. Yay. Ooh. 
Yeah, so I, I've been writing this series of short articles that I call Small Bites with a Y because I'm an idiot. And uh, <laughs> it, you know, a lot of it's sort of just trying to explain developer topics to people who are a developer kind of thing. And um, this is kind of a pet topic of mine, but I wanted to look at what it meant. Like, what does it mean to create a, a desktop app with .NET MAUI, right? Which right. is the successor to Xamarin. So my determination here is that Nobody's going to create a desktop app with Maui, but what you would do is create a, a cross-platform mobile app and then add some desktop features to it so it, it was a little more natural or uh, normal on, on yeah. the desktop, right? The idea is to have as much common code as you can, and Maui's yeah. pretty good at that, but you end up with some, you know, if phone form factor, if tablet form yeah. factor, if the, PC yes. form factor. Yeah, and there's also some some automatic behavior, which I think is kind of nice. So, the, like, a couple of the features that will work automatically like that are... Uh, secondary windows and mm -hmm. uh, the menu bar, right? So if you add in a menu bar, it won't appear on mobile automatically. It will appear on uh, windows, obviously, the Mac. And if you have an iPad with a keyboard attached, interestingly, hmm. it will appear there as it well. It notices. Uh, yeah, that's kind of yeah. cool. So these control um, makers are smart, like they are yeah. saying, here's the automatic renderings for these things. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And then, um, you know, the way uh, .NET MAUI sort of works is that each of those screens that you see is, is a page, like a content page. And uh, you can optionally have that appear as a floating window if you're running on the desktop. So you don't have to do any conditional code there, too. It's kind of nice. You have like an about box or something. The floating window pops up. You click OK to get rid of it. On mobile, it just goes to that screen. Yeah. And you can navigate using swipes or the built-in navigation or you have a button, you know. So anyway, I thought that was kind of cool. But I, I guess the, the point was simply that um, .NET MAUI is not really, it's not a like a desktop framework but no. it it will let you take one of the mobile apps that you create with it and tailor it for the desktop which i yeah. think is fine which generally i mean again it depends on what you're working on right like yeah. it's not like use of of wpf and wind forms is disappearing either yeah although you know what so actually that's a good point so one of the interesting things about dotnet maui i think is that it's the easiest way on windows to create a winui 3 app yeah, right. Because it only it, when you i three yeah. is now it's part just, of. Mouse. Yeah, it's just native. It's part of it. It's nice. Yeah. Um, I wish there was an easy way to take a legacy uh, WPF app in particular, but WinForms, whatever, mm -hmm. but especially WPF, and replace the UI with WinUI, right? Um, and you, I, I think there are sort of ways. Actually, Richard, I went meant to ask you. You yeah. probably, in fact, I'm what positive. kind of dragon did you want? Right? Like yeah, you, you're asking well, for this. You have probably talked to someone from Avalonia UI, yes, right? I, have. I assume so. This is a uh, what, is it open source or is yep. it a? It's open source third party project mm -hmm. to bring a WPF style environment into the 21st century, so to speak, or into the modern world, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I I don't know if they are WinUI or whatever. I'm not really sure, but I uh, that might be another way. That, that might be an easier way, but. I know it's some sort of XAML islands nonsense, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, so but it seems to me a bunch of underlying tricks to make that work. Yeah, it, it, sh it shouldn't be so hard. Like it, it, to me, you should be able to create a XAML file that's WinUI three, create your UI, and then wire it to all those backend things you already have, and then say, okay, this window is going to replace that old window. And I wish there was a way to do that. Yeah, I, I think there's an interesting business going on because this is a huge problem for Microsoft in modernizing yeah. all these applications. Mm -hmm. And you have a schism, too, because if it's an internal app, Microsoft wants you to make it a power app. Oh, yeah. So one of the points I do on one of my talks is I say, have you looked at 
the cognitive services form recognizer because it mm. works for paper forms. Like it'll literally make right. you key value pairs out of a paper form to drop into a XAML document and make, you know, basically generate a form for you. But there's no reason that paper couldn't have been screenshots of an app. Right. Right. So I think we're, we are seeing the shape of tooling to modernize a lot of these applications. When I, so, um, I don't know about paint, but notepad and windows 11 looks like the thing I'm asking for. Mm-hmm. It's clearly the old app, but the yeah, front but end been skinned. has been skinned and it's beautiful and modern yeah. It hasn't lost any functionality. If anything, it's it's gained some. They've the uh, find replace UI is now like this nice floating you you know Win UI style floating window kind of a deal. Yeah, and it's the rare example of a modern app that doesn't feel like a Fisher Price toy. Yeah, where you, where even someone like me who uses Notepad every single day can use this and not feel like I'm being forced to use a toy. You know, like it feels it it, it is modern, but it is also clearly Notepad. And yeah. I would love for there to be more. And, stuff and the like Windows that. team did that. So what they're tapping is an interesting question as to how yep. they go about yeah. doing that. Right. This has been the art, the challenge all along. Is they surface these new um, visualization, the material design, you know, those kinds of mindsets, and then it's up to the various dev stacks to decide how they're going to implement them. Much yeah. less how the customers are really going to use them. You know, Microsoft made a version of WinForms right. for. Um, core three one in, in in 2019 mm-hmm. and it wasn't bite for bite compatible with the old wind forms because the main thing they were addressing the thing everybody wanted was being able to have wind forms work on high dpi screens i was gonna say yeah exactly that was scaling. the problem yeah, UI and there was scaling. no yep. way to just make that yep. go straight across so you had to rebuild your app you mm-hmm. had to go through some steps like they just made a, a certain barrier of entry to all of that to make that capability work and People were unhappy. Like it's, hmm. even though they'd done the thing they really wanted, it it was, uh, right. it's not, you know, they, they just want it to work. And it's like, uh, it's harder than that. Welcome to real life. Yep. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, WinForms came out, what, 2001? Oh, WinForms goes all the way back to ThunderForms in, okay. uh, in Visual Basic circa 1991, right? Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, it's okay. So pre-high DPI, um, either yeah, way. Yeah, but the, you know, the high DPI version was 2019. Like that was yeah. the yeah, yeah. WinForms for Core 3.1 SDK, where they said, okay, well, Core is still cross-platform, but we have this set of Windows SDKs yeah. for UI components, and there's a high DPI tolerant version of WinForms. Well, this is, yeah. So like, anyway, that. Yeah, the, the, there's a gap between WPF, especially WinForms, but WPF yeah. and WinUI, and I wish this bridge could be gapped, or this gap could be bridged, I should say. And it, um, Maui's not mature, right? I mean, it's been nope. a battle to get it this far. It's a lot of team wrangling they've done. I mean, this is right. the Xamarin folks, this is the Windows folks, this is the WPF folks, and it's also sure. the uh, the, WinUI, the WinUI folks. Like, there's a lot of different political right. maneuvering to get them to all play together. So they're, they're iterating slowly in comparison to a lot of other things they've built. And, you know, when I put my enterprise IT hat on, it's like, tell me why it's not a PWA, right? I don't want to deploy an app to the workstations or even to the piece, to the phones, really just, you know, use the manifest of the PWA, push it that way. I'm in a security context. I trust Uh, we get the latest version automatically. Like it is very hard to argue against that. Yeah, no, I feel like we kind of talked about this, like the, for all the people who are asking me, like, well, what's the next, you know, desktop framework? There is no next desktop framework. And if you're looking at desktop class apps, you might, you should be looking at PWA. 
Yeah, well, there's an awful lot you can do. There are some edges, without a doubt, and there is the power to, quote-unquote, native apps on phone devices, without, you know, also true. But the price is so high. So, I mean, if Maui could get good enough, I think Flutter's good enough. Like, you talk about it. So, yeah, so one of the next articles in this series, I think I'm going to call it declarative programming, although that's a little off, but this notion that you would declare a UI like It's a declarative UI, you're exactly right. Right. Yeah. That's that's odd, but it also is remarkably good at working yep. across devices. And I think the fascinating thing about it is Flutter is, yeah. And the thing that's fascinating to me about that is you do that in the programming language, which is Dart, which is sort of the mm-hmm. equivalent of C Sharp, not in some uh, markup language like no. uh, XAML or XML or whatever. Yeah, and XAML uh, has baggage. They yep. It was under-opinionated when it was created, and so there's just too many yep. ways to do things. Right. And that's, you know... It goes back I really, to I, I, 2005, right? It's old. It's something I really like. I really like Sample. It's kind of a tough yeah. thing for me. Like I, you I get really, to do what you want for the most part. Yeah, yeah it's kind and of they, a And they are trying to narrow the scope. And, you know, one would argue that Flutter was created because Dart had to do something. Nobody else <laughs> was going to Okay. But they did a great job. Like it's yeah, yeah, enough yeah. now. And they started with phones. When we first started talking to yep. them back in the day on Donna Rocks, right. it was That's all about phones. And then later they came to, to Mac God, and They PC. do everything now. And they do. And, and they're way further along for desktop apps yeah. than uh, and, Diamond. And, Diamond. and so it's an interesting point to, to think in terms of could Maui be this good in another two years? Maybe. I don't know. They're, they're revving Flutter really fast, though. They yeah. Just they're they're in a that. groove. No two ways about it. And uh, it's compelling. It's, it's, Tim it's Steve, still a know? question of. You must know Tim Sneath, right? Oh, I do. Tim, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and a lovely and a lovely person and, and smart yep. as a whip. Great, and, you know, great things at Microsoft doing great things at Google. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sorry. <laughs> and then this doesn't warrant too much discussion, but uh, I was kind of, it was one of those, they don't have this yet, but they just announced a, uh, a cross-platform media player control for Maui, so you can have media playing, whether it's audio or video. Yeah. inside of your app and it works across all the platforms that .mi supports and it's like duh there was third party <laughs> like, stuff for that already yeah yeah so, i they, think it's actually might, it might even be based on a third party uh, and it's all part to yeah. maui's young they're still getting their feet on them it's going yeah. to take them three versions they're kind of at yeah. one and a half yep that's right so i'm curious what you think about this one because i saw this number and then i went to google and i said google how many developers are there <laughs> and yeah. Google told me there were about 27 million developers in the world, uh, but GitHub says that they have over 100 million developers on the service now, which is we actually talked about briefly last week, but um, it had just happened right as we were recording the show. So since then, I had a chance to kind of look into this. And I, I know that because I use it this way, GitHub isn't always used by developers. It's sure, also used. that's the real issue is why would you yeah. call people using GitHub developers? Yeah. Well, because everyone's a developer, Rich. You didn't know that. Okay. But I, I know folks <laughs> who write books on GitHub. Well, I do too. I, I'm one of those people. That's right. Yep. yep. I, all of the most of the best podcast lists are actually there. You go. You know, GitHub so do you have any? Podcasts. Do you have a handle on what? Like how many developers there are, or whatever? Like that. Yeah. Again, it's like how do you define that yeah. number? Right. Like, is it studio users versus Eclipse users versus Rider right. users? Versus I mean, I use the size for like, my code as well as my dot yeah. net sure, files yeah. and my. Uh, yeah. And various things, but uh, I don't think I would count in the 27 million developers. I'm sure Google yeah. doesn't know about me. So, yeah. I don't, in and, fact, and I'm even loath to say professional developer. Yeah. Like, right. Right. Now. What does that mean? 
Yeah. I mean, I write code and I put my code on GitHub. Does that make me a developer? Yeah. I don't know, but it's... Yeah, it makes you a source yes. of information from I'm GitHub. I'm one of the hundred million. Thanks very much. Yeah, right. That's right. <laughs> no one wants my list feeding. code. Trust me, it's safe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Although there's not a lot of... The, the, the whole, you know, co-pilot thing, we had a great conversation with Mish Manners a while back about... There's not a whole lot of quality checks on that. Like, they, it, it'll right. spit out code, but it doesn't mean it works, much less is secure. Right. Right. Well, that's just like ChatGPT. It's that's right. It's a massive BS machine. Least, yeah. Speaking of which, as long as you know nothing about the subject, right, it sounds, ChatGPT it sounds very brilliant. reasonable. It's confidently yeah. wrong. Yeah. Something I just got an email about this. So I believe this this is a third party company. So if you go to creativedatastudios.com, dot com, mm-hmm. you will see an add in for Microsoft Office called Ghostwriter that uses ChatGPT. Oh man. Advanced natural language processing and machine learning to help you brainstorm, plan, and create content. And I think it's the create content part, <laughs> like right, that we're actually concerned about. Right? They're, it's almost like they're underplaying that part of it. Uh, but this may be, saying. yeah, this may be the first add-in for ChatGPT. Huh? Uh, for word, yeah, for word that incorporates ChatGPT. Yeah. I doubt this is what Microsoft will end up doing with it. But maybe no. they will. I feel like this is a little too on the nose, right? Like have it write your stuff. It seems I think much. this is what people expect AI to do for them. Right. Yeah. And I and you know, technical people are freaked out by this and normal people are like, Oh my god, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, believe me, I often whip open chat GPT to try and write abstracts for shows. Mm-hmm. It's horrifying. Like, it, yeah. Wow. yeah. Yeah, but anyway, I think ChatGPT is good at summarizing other stuff. Like if you had 400 pages of stuff and you, you fed it through ChatGPT, it could maybe, yeah. I don't know. I wouldn't, I think this is not something you should get yet because let's wait and see what Microsoft does. Sure. I used to perform that service for Steven Sanofsky post. I would take a, an 8,000 word post. Yeah, and that's your it job. 80 words, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, of actual That's content. what humans used to do. Now we can, yeah, have, yeah, yeah. yeah machine do it. Yeah, what's he really saying here? It would just be like a like a puff of air. You know, it would say nothing. There's nothing. <laughs> nothing, but he said it for 20 minutes. <laughs> he said the hell out of it, let me tell you. <laughs> yep. Nothing hit me right in the head. I'm very interested to see what Microsoft does with it. Did they, is there a timeline for them introducing ChatGPT or whatever it is, GPT-4, no, into an I, office? No, but we always do this is cheap but you know uh build is coming up probably in may and ignite is coming up mm. probably in november yeah and these would be the two big times Events. for them to start <clears throat> talking about that stuff and there's clearly a push to put these technologies oh it's a race now. as possible it's a yeah. it's an ai race that's and right i don't know if there is a gates letter i suspect there isn't but that's essentially <laughs> what's going on right right, right. when right. gates wrote the internet tidal wave letter Everybody had to do something interrelated, even some dumb things. Actually, a That's lot right. of dumb things. That's right. Uh, and when he wrote the internet, the security letter, everybody had to focus on security. And there was some important stuff done there and some dumb stuff done there. Mm-hmm. So this, you know, put it, I suspect there is basically a motion saying, make sure these open API things are surfacing in your products wherever possible. And we're going to see some clever stuff. And yep. some it's going to be a bunch of that. Anywho, here's a peek at what's probably coming to Word <laughs> in yeah. the form of an add-in. Well, you know, I've, I felt like Word had hit a point where they were now only working on bad features because you get two versions from it, one when you put it in and one when you take it out. Right. Right. Like, right. There's no more good ideas. You know, it's yeah. a word processor. Please stop. 
Yeah, I'd like to strip it down. In fact, if it wasn't so much work, I would spend time just getting rid of UI. I don't. I know. find myself writing way more stuff in VS Code of all kinds now. I yeah, I, we, I believe me, I've looked into yeah. this a lot. <laughs> yeah, Markdown might be my uh, where am I going to be your at? new friend? Where yeah. I'm going to land? Well, it's not, not my new friend, sure. but it's going to be my <laughs> my only writing friend yeah. soon. I think. Yeah, I like Markdown. All right, you want an Xbox? Let's Xbox it, yeah. baby. I love it. All right. Give us There's some a lot Xbox. Of, uh, a lot of Xbox news this week. So I have not written this article yet, but I have an article that's kind of in the process where I'm uh, that ha- that I started writing before. Uh, it was revealed that a lot of those layoffs that happened at Microsoft came out of 343 Industries, a part of uh, Xbox. That the, the Xbox, I should say, the Microsoft Game Studio, that is responsible for Halo now. Um. And my, where my head was at was sort of, I, I, in fact, it starts with that moment. You and I, Leo, were watching that game preview, and it was garbage. <laughs> and I and I always describe it the same way because it's perfect. I just said, you know, I, at the time I thought, this game looks horrible, yeah. but they're going to pull a Wizard of Oz moment where all of a sudden it transforms into this futuristic, awesome graphics, you know, and, and it never happened. They and I didn't. thought, what is going on here? And then they delayed it for a year right after they previewed it. And um, I knew from that moment that something was horribly wrong with this game. So and my so feeling is that it started when Microsoft bought Bungie, which made the original Halo. That's right. Halo but the then day. fired everybody. <laughs> well, I, Bungie, no, Bungie wanted to leave. Like Bungie, Bungie spun off. Wanted to go. Wanted, they wanted to go po- uh, private again. So they all and left. Basically, well, but Microsoft said you can leave, but you, you obviously but leave the IP Halo. with us. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. So now so you then have Bungie a game, proceeded to make, but no developers. Well, yeah, so they they created a studio, and I'm sure there were some people from Bungie who stayed because uh, mm-hmm. they wanted to keep working on Halo. Maybe yeah. created this studio but called Three Forty. They've shopped it to different dev teams yeah. for years. It's been right? kind no of a two weird Halo products was made by the yeah. same dev team, and they had There's an engine huge... that was a little apparently, according to the stories, uh, hard to work right. with. That's right. So this this is this is not the first time this notion has come up that you know should. Microsoft take Halo off of their own, let's call it the Halo engine, you know, take it off of this internal thing and put it on something more popular that other people know how to work with, right? Because it's much easier to acquire talent if they know the engine you're working in. Um, I, look, you can go back but and forth. But there's a look one of the, to Halo that's different. It, that's from exactly Unreal what games. I was just going to say that. The one thing I will say about Halo Infinite is you bring that thing up, you're like, oh, nice. This is Halo. It's Halo. It's very yeah, clearly it's Halo. Own. But then again, you know, maybe that's not so good, right? I mean, Halo is also this very old-fashioned game franchise. It, it comes out every five years-ish with a new title. Um, the modern Microsoft has done a very good job with other games of keeping them fresh with new content. You know, Sea of Thieves, uh, Gears of War, many other titles, they've done great with that. Minecraft, I mean, is incredible. Um, uh, Halo, got off to, uh, Halo Infinite got off to such a bad start spent the first year spinning wheels trying to just get caught up w- with what they promised for the initial release stumbled all over that there's all kinds of stuff they're not doing that they promised they would do um splits you know like split screen for example and co-op um you know kind of upsetting the community and now basically what they're saying is uh, actually we're starting over we're going to go uh use the unreal engine um we have far fewer employees who are working in this group um, I'm sure there'll be some hiring of outside talent as well, but and they'll be able to because Unreal is number yeah. one, really. But you know what? This you don't make a game like this in a year. 
No. This is going to be three years at least. I mean, I mean it's yeah. It depends on how much you're constituting a team and what vision you have. Right? Yeah. Like, this is uh, this is um, Halo Infinite was already uh, such a long process, and it also leaves an open question about what happens to that game. Yeah. You know, I just sort of mentioned that they've done a really good job keeping existing games up to date. Does Halo just, uh, Halo Infinite just sit there in the water and not get updated that much or at all now because they're working on this new thing? Well, and and it does happen that they go back over old titles because they could just drop the data sets into the new engine once they reach yeah, the like they, right. They could do like a Master Chief collection, yeah, they'll, they'll do a collection or something, and pull a, yeah. pull the games up into the new. Yeah, engine. but uh, that's fine. But that doesn't help the people who actually like that game today. You know. Uh, that want to keep playing it and want new maps and want new content and want new whatever, you know, this yeah. season but season thing they have. If it is not in Microsoft's best interest to make their own engine because that means you, I agree. they have to work by themselves. This is, this is the chromium of uh, game engines. Yeah. This is exactly where do you want to spend the money and your resources and time and it's not creating that. that creating an engine is stupid. No, and you could argue they contribute to they contribute to Unreal. They could contribute to Cry. Like there's a few yeah. other engines, and whichever right. one you pick, you're going to help a lot. Yep, because that's yep. a lot of of firepower. I just um, feel like this whole thing has to change. Like I, I don't. I'm not saying like the Call of Duty model is right because even Call of Duty's not doing the Call of Duty model this year. No, but um, but it's going to be I, very interesting. You know, it's it's a yeah. hundred million dollars to build a tier one game now, and three yeah. to four hundred people. You know, and if you're lucky, you get it done in a year and you make the deadline, right? Like, it's yeah, like making lucky, a movie. I mean, it's hard the, and it's expensive. Yeah, it's a but, Hollywood blockbuster is what it is. Yeah. But the amount of compute you've got in a, in a 1S or in a PS5, right. you need that many people to make enough assets to exercise right. that to machine. To actually make it look any good. Yeah. Yeah. That's otherwise, right. why did I buy this $600 machine? Like, make me a game that presses against the edges of the machine. Yep. I don't know. I'm just... And, this and that's is, the thing. is like, and there's, what, a dozen billion-dollar titles a year. Nine or ten of them are Call of Duty version 17, right? Sure. Like, because that's safe. Right. And then, if you're lucky, there's a couple of new titles that are something innovative, typically out of a smaller studio who will immediately be bought by an Activision or an EA or yeah. you know, one of them. Yeah. I, I mean, a game of this magnitude, though, there aren't that many, and... They tend to be, you know, like Sony will have a few of them that are exclusive to Sony. Yeah. Um, I don't well, know. I, I, that just, whole this debate is, again with yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. acquisition and you know, should they make Halo exclusive to the Xbox? This is um, it's troubling. It, it, I feel like they should have made this decision before and, you know, belatedly they're doing the right thing. But really the industry is in a corner. Right. Yeah. You know, the yeah. funny thing is the movie industry got in the corner, too, and then they innovated. Right. Like if you looked at the technology they used behind the Mandalorian, which, by the way, Unreal Engine, That's it right. allowed them to do sophisticated right. sci-fi movies for dramatically less. Yep. Yep. The I would argue the gaming industry is overdue for that, like that that's something they should be working harder on. It's more <laughs> scaffolding yeah. to allow storytellers to make great right. looking games quickly. Well, I'm, I'll, this, the nature of my website is I'm going to hear from every single person who believes that standardizing on anything is bad and that yeah. what we need is more as variety. As you're and willing to wait and, and pay $80 or $100 for the game, right. okay. But people how don't want- much, though, does the engine inform how the game plays, looks, and feels? We're going to find out, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing. Halo is very distinct. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whether you like it or not. I mean, I honestly, my. 
I found it a little tedious over time. I mean, it, at first it was like, look at this thing. Nice. You know, like this is how I remember Halo. I Halo 1, 2, 3, I, I replayed those games and replayed those. I love those games. And then 4 and 5, I was like, eh, <laughs> you know. And, and part of it might literally, part of it was storytelling maybe or whatever, but um, I think a big part of it was the games didn't really evolve graphically or thematically mm-hmm. at all. I mean, they were just doing... Um, According to your story on uh, therot.com, Halo Infinite was uh, developed with an engine that had been written from the ground up for that game, Slipspace. Yeah, okay, right. Uh, right, to be, because they wanted to be faithful to the franchise, but take advantage of the new console. I guess if you're writing a custom engine, you could make it look like the old engine. You could, you know, do whatever the yeah. old engine did. Uh, that, that's that's unique. Right. This is this is a tough one because uh, what we were just talking about we were just talking about Java. So what, one of the issues with Java was you know Microsoft eventually realized, aside from all the legal stuff and all the awfulness they were doing, that you know for and Anders would have said this a million times to different mm-hmm. people, like we needed to control this for this to make sense for us, right? And that's why .NET happened and C Sharp and all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of the attitude I think with uh, people who support Microsoft making their own game engines, like this thing's special, we need to do this ourselves, and it's like. Uh, I feel like game engines are so sophisticated now that they could do anything. And I wouldn't be surprised to discover that an Unreal Engine-based version of Halo will look and feel like Halo. The, other, the other direction to go in is you, you build to. an engine that you then license to others. Because yes, that's what ultimately makes yep. it better. It has to be a revenue source, and it can't just be an right. internal one. And I've never heard anything about Microsoft wanting or trying to do no. that. But I can assure you, even if they did... That, but that Unreal, comes down to an Adrian Carmack, like an yeah. extraordinary mind. Right. who can actually lead an initiative to build an engine yep. that an array of game development companies would be willing to use. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Microsoft's not, I mean, whatever it's over. So it doesn't yeah, seem like the it. right thing to do. No. Yeah. It's crazy. Now, all that said, uh, I don't know where the blame lies from the outside. It, to me, it looks like it's three forty three's fault. <laughs> you know, I'm like, if you're going to go, if you're going to just do Unreal uh, engine, uh, here's an idea. Maybe take this away from this team. I don't feel like they've done a great job with this thing. It's been a freaking disaster from day yeah. one. But that said, maybe part of that was the length of time it took to develop this. Engine. The, the other thing is we're in a year where everybody's cutting back on things that aren't sure to pay off this year. Right. So if you're really going to rebuild a team on a new engine, the yeah. chances of you shipping a title by October are zero. Oh, it's zero. It's 100% so zero. Yeah, it's, do a minimal build it. out just to keep some yeah. engagement, plan for a two-year run, and, you know, something that's, the next that's will the, higher up. Two years, I would be impressed. But I, I, that's the problem because we, we still have this game sitting here, mm-hmm. you know. And Microsoft's modus operandi and what they promised for this particular game is we will keep this thing updated with new content. Um. Who would want to be on that B team? It's like it's like you're, uh, hey, you're uh, you're going to make the service pack for the current version of Windows. Well, we move on to the next exciting thing. Yeah. Yay! You know, it's yeah. like, am I being punished for something? What is this? Like, no, who would want to do that? Yeah, um, there's a group of folks that to. does, but you only get yeah. certain classes of work from them too. Right, right, right. That's right. Anywho, we'll see what happens, but ugh, uh, yeah, a, a big a big part of the cuts at Xbox came out of 343, and there's a bitter part of me that, I don't mean to say like good, but when I look at the part of that that wasn't working, absolutely was 343. Mm-hmm. I just don't know what the reason is. I, maybe it is the engine. I don't want to say it's you know the people. I really don't know, but it's really telling. They've also lost a lot of people over the past sure. year. I mean, every couple of months, 
uh, you know, the person running the studio, someone really high up, uh, they, you know, are just sort of falling by the wayside and leaving. And that's telling because if this thing was going gangbusters, they would probably wouldn't be leaving. Yeah. And, it, and that's the thing is, is, have you got enough vision to really build out a good game org? This is yeah. its own set of skills. I suppose everybody wants to be cross-platform, but wouldn't it be interesting if Microsoft said, we're going to write the best possible game engine for Xbox? Yeah. Only after they finish the the uh, Activision acquisition. Right. But if you had enough games, <laughs> no, but I mean, then you, then you develop. <laughs> Don't a, say that now, please. You develop a group of developers who are proficient in developing games just for your platform. Yeah. But then I would also think you would license it to others. Like that's how you make a sustainable engine. Is oh, oh yeah. Anybody who wants to write a game from Xbox, it's like Visual Basic. I don't know. Anybody who wants to write a game for Xbox would do this engine because it's the best. It's the optimized for Xbox yeah. engine. But it's just going to impact your cross platting. Right. I think Visual Basics made sense in a world in which uh, Windows and the PC were dominant. Yeah, when it's ninety percent um, of the market today, the it's heterogeneous. And by the way, uh, Xbox is not in first place. They're in third place in yeah. consoles. So. You know, it makes more sense to latch yourself onto a really high quality standard, in this case, Unreal Engine, and make sure that that thing runs like gangbusters on your console. Yeah. And, and um, to bring in the best people that know that engine. Yeah. yeah. I, I just think it's the, the way the world is today. Yeah. You if know, you're I, leading, I, you get more choice. You get choices. That's like right. That, but you're yep, not. You can do Yeah. Like Sony maybe could pull that. But even Sony, like, why would you bother? I mean, yeah. uh, you want, you know, you, you're competing with PCs from like a graphical quality standpoint. So, um, Make your thing run as uh, run Unreal Engine as well as it can, mm -hmm. and uh, and compare favorably. And make your visuals music. distinct so they don't all look like Unreal Engine. I mean, that's the yep. biggest thing is if you use the base the base set of libraries, then all your games look like Unreal games. If you take the time <laughs> to build your own stuff, and it's expensive, that's a bunch of work by a bunch of artists to give a distinct look and feel. Then it's your game. Yeah. Yep. Well. Not that I have strong opinions. <laughs> it feels but like a lot of this all that was unplanned, that it happened just kind of by chance. And well, I, I think it's I think also a this push. Yeah. yeah. It's the, you know, capitalism is supposed to be built on the idea of grow, 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 then lean out, right? Have a little yeah. recessionary period and lean out. So you're seeing this, this lean out moment for the first time in 20 years. Yeah, it's like and what's it, working. It, it's it's too bad the way it had to go down, but this is what should have happened for Halo Infinite. I have no idea what they were thinking creating their own engine. I'm sure there were re obviously there were mm. reasons, but there's always somebody inside there who really wants to do it, and you don't have a reason to stop them because you're making money. He don't care. It's good enough, right? Well, the, the, that's the, the thing. Tightening I, of the I, belt I, helps, but I bet this game has probably underperformed dramatically. Sure. And uh, when you're only putting one out every five years ish or whatever it is, it's that hurts. Hit. That hurts a lot. Yeah. yeah. Yep, you expect that to always be a hit. Yeah. But they've had a pretty, I don't know, I would say 4, 5, and Infinite. That, that's been, they had a classic trilogy, and then they had a, <laughs> a prequel trilogy or whatever. Like, it, it didn't, you know, it's like, uh, uh, not quite. Yeah, you need a storyteller who's got a bigger narrative around that world. Yes, yep. To give you room to go. And you've got a whole universe there you can take advantage of, just like Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, expand out into the world. No, no, do yeah. a Mandalorian. Like, go yeah, exactly. off the standard yep. characters. Exactly go right. play a side story, right? Yeah, and someone's going to bring up, they, there were little Halo side games. I know yeah. that. Like, little, but that's you can do more than that. No, you Blue can do Shift for, uh, yes. for... Uh, Half-Life back in the day, exactly right. right? Like, there was so much fun. People love that world. Go yep. have some fun with it. Exactly. It's exactly challenging, right. though, because when you're if you're going to start a new game today, it's three to five years, right? So you have to look ahead. It's so tempting, as you said, Richard, to, to do something that's already succeeded. Just do, you know, Call of Duty 11. Wow. 
But wouldn't it be interesting to try something new and different and kind of... Yeah, but you do, that's, I think it makes sense for this schedule to do what you're saying. In other words, like Call of Duty 11 is because Call of Duty 10 was last year. Yeah, yeah. These games are every three to five years. Yeah, so here's an opportunity. You should be looking at spatial audio and... And that's uh, not how finances work. You're expected yeah. to make money every year. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And it's even exceptional that gaming industry is allowed to make money every year instead of every quarter. Right. Right? Which right. is now you get back to the Dotas and the World of Warcraft and stuff that make billions a year. So this is why you don't really have content. innovation very often, you know. Mm-hmm. Although I uh, think they need to rethink Halo from top to bottom. I, yeah. I, it's you know they, now they're doing the rendering engine, do it all, just do, rethink the whole thing. But you yeah. know they're going to just do a Fortnite. They're going to do a, a, a battle yeah, a royale. Yeah, yeah, and because that's what's hot right now. But who knows? Well, three years from now, what if you did a World of Warcraft in Halo? I wouldn't right. mind that. So now we've got now we've got different planets to go to and different yeah. you know combat scenes and different storylines to explore. That's a lot of content to make, but that's also thirty dollars a month. I mean, logically, right. definitely, it's, it's a big risk, big reward because you yeah. don't know. If you it's know, Microsoft hit. just uh, brought Halo to TV, and it didn't really move much of a mountain there, yeah. <laughs> I would say. But Sony has brought <coughs> what's it called, The Last of Us. That's yep. huge. HBO Max. People are well. huge. raving it's the thing in the about this. In, in, yeah. in, in an entertainment world where we have turned to sequels and Marvel movies, and that's all there is, um, the HBO has looked to a video game franchise for a story that's actually a really good story. And they didn't change it. It's the story from the game. <laughs> you know, I mean, one of the goofy things about the Halo TV series is they change things. And uh, if this thing was strong enough to begin with, and I kind of feel like it was. Now they did; ch- they're they're changing the ending apparently. But okay, but yeah, but by and large, it's you know there's a lot of dialogue that's straight from the game. Like that's sure. pretty. And impressive. they got great it's, characters too. Like, yeah, it's a good high quality story. Really hard, you know. Uh, you know, there's plenty of bad video game uh, movies out there. I would argue the majority oh, yes. of them. I would all the uh, ninety nine point something percent of them for sure. Although I did enjoy the first person perspective of the Doom movie with uh, The Rock, I thought that was good. <laughs> yeah, and, and you also have cult uh, hits like Resident Evil. Those were not yeah, great movies, yeah, yeah. but there's a Which group of people who like love the, them. Nothing them like the game. Again. Yeah, yeah, nothing like the game. They should do a Resident Evil movie that's like the game. That would be smart. Yeah. Uh, oh well. Anyway. Okay. 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 Games with gold. Mm-hmm. Most of the, yeah, so this kind of stuff is not particularly exciting anymore. Back in the day, Games with Gold was pretty cool. Um, it was uh, Xbox 360 games at the beginning, then they went forward to Xbox One and uh, went backward to original Xbox. And now we've kind of milked that cow as much as we can. Uh, we don't have four games each month now. We only have two. This is They're newer games. I know. It's just, well, it's, a, it's just a perk of your subscription. So yeah. I, as I have to say so often, I have never heard of either of these games. <laughs> Um, for the King, which is described as a strategic RPG, and Guts and Goals, which I I, I saw the name and I, I was hoping it was Guts and Goats, but mm. it's an arcade soccer game, um, hmm. and we'll just leave it at that. Okay. Um, <laughs> it, better news, uh, if you have a Game Pass subscription, this month is going to be an incredible month for Game Pass. In fact, it's already started. So we had GoldenEye 007, which was that classic N64 title come has already arrived. That arrived early. Um, Age of Empire 2, Definitive Edition, came to the console, um, I think, today or yesterday or the other day, fairly recently. So that's part of this haul. That's really good. Um, there's a game called Hi-Fi Rush that came out of nowhere. 
which is like one of the biggest things that's happened on Xbox in a long time. Um, Hot Wheels Unleashed um, and a bunch of other stuff. So this is a good, this is looking like a good month for uh, Xbox Game Pass subscribers if you are one of those guys. Nice. Um, I haven't, I, I had an opportunity. I'm not, a, I don't play games like Age of Empires, but I, I had the opportunity to do it um, before it was released and I declined. And uh, now I'm told it's like this incredible uh, conversion. It's supposed to work really well with a controller. Um, hmm. You know, this is a PC title that I don't know when it came out 15 years ago. Oh, God. I was ago. a huge Age of Empires fanatic yeah. sure. back in the day. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, there's that. Um, we saw some price hikes with consoles in the fall, not in the United States, um, although that could be coming, I guess. Um, but Microsoft just announced they're raising the price of the Xbox Series X and S in Japan. Um, I don't know what to say about that. It's just the way it is. Okay. So, unfortunately, there you go. And then there's some controversy around whether or not Sony is actually having its PlayStation VR 2 shipment forecast. Sony has now said that they are not. Um, but, of course, Sony would say that, right? So um, this thing is uh, $550, which costs more than a PlayStation 5, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. Um, it's supposed to be pretty high quality. The initial forecast was for 2 million units. Um, according to Bloomberg, that has been halved to 1 million units. Um, I don't remember, I don't, was there ever a figure for, I don't remember, do, do, do. yeah, okay, actually here it is. Yeah, Sony apparently sold 5 million units of the original VR headset, the PlayStation VR for the for the PS4. Um, that was a console that had sold over 100 million units. Um, the current console is somewhere north of 30, if I remember correctly. So I'm sure it will end up north of 50 when we're done or even, you know, we'll see how that goes, but... 550 bucks for an add-on for a console that already costs, you know, 400, 500 bucks, whatever. And what's the, what is the marquee title? Like, what's the game you can only play? Like there, and that is always the problem. Like you buy your PS5 because you want the latest Final Fantasy because you want Gran Turismo. Like you want those definitive games. Yeah. I don't know that there is a definitive game, but there is actually a pretty decent list of games. Now, I don't know that, I can't imagine too many of these are VR, like, um, Exclusive? No, I mean it's bloody Beat Saber, right? Like that's <laughs> like Gran Turismo Seven is going to be updated so that it works with VR. Um, yeah, so these are adaptations which have pluses and minuses, but you know we're still yeah. looking for the mist for right. VR. That's right. The yeah. game is like you have not seen, you've not played VR, you've not experienced until you play this game, right? Yeah, and it's, that's true. And you've got this uh, network effect problem where there's not enough headsets, so nobody's going to spend the money to make a game good enough. So there's not enough headsets. Right. I was talking to some friends of mine that are involved in Valve, and they said average sales for a VR title, 100000 mm. Well, And that doesn't pay the bills. Like, right. It does right. not pay the bills. Yeah, like those guys had put out that game, um, uh, whatever it was called, the Alex, uh, what do you call it, the Alex, Alex uh, title? Yeah. That was an experimental title. I would game. love to play that. I'm not going to buy a VR headset to play it. I no. love Half-Life, you yeah. know. I'd give anything to play that. Uh, well, not anything because I'm not buying a VR headset. Yeah, not but, everything. Clearly there's uh, a line. Yeah. Yeah. Are games you would think doing VR versions as they develop mm-hmm. or is it such a small market they don't even bother doing that? That seems to be the, the case, but also that 
the game behavior is different in VR than it is. Yeah, it's hard to move around in VR. You can't. There's no real yeah. good mechanics for that. A, yeah. You made people nauseous. And, yeah, right. and, you know, the game. my game-building friend said, you know, when you're running in Call of Duty, you're running at 30 miles an hour. Right. Because otherwise people get bored. And if I do that to you, at the th- he talks about the three-foot experience versus the three-inch experience. If I do that to you three inches, you're hurling. That was always my issue with uh, when Gears of War first came out, the um, the multiplayer was it was all low to the ground stuff. And I was like, what? It's like I'm running around with a loaded diaper. Like, what? what is this? Like, this is not I'm, I want to be super soldier. I want to leap over, you know, fences and stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> no, that's yeah. not good. But I, I, I feel like we're seeing pullback on VR at all levels. Yeah. Between the debacle yep. with Meta and yep. uh, the the gutting of the HoloLens team. I know. And, you know, Sony's pulling back. Like, I think everybody's taking a look and saying, this isn't going to pay this year. And we're not going to spend this year. So we're just going to dial it back and see if anybody's going to do anything interesting. That's Nobody not the way to, to create first. a market. No. No, I, no, I, I, man, I still feel like there's a there's room for this. It's not the next big thing, it's not where gaming goes, but it's still this. And, I, and maybe with the PS4 and the PSVR, the original one, that was a good indication of what the market is. You sold a hundred whatever million uh, consoles, and then five million of the VR headsets. So there you right. go. It's like it's like a twentieth, or it's yeah. less than. A and how am I going to spend that kind of money to make that? Yep game great or i'm just going to do a great adaptation and it's not great right yeah vr only title besides beat saber you know they're they're pretty scarce Hmm. um and e3 is getting to be more of a desert yeah by the week i know it's 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 going to be like the indie game show by the time we're done with it you know it's like um this is kind of what happened to comdex obviously uh this used to be it this was the big show but as uh, we see so many times with so many companies and other parts of the tech industry, um, you know, people want to announce things on their own schedules. Well, and um, isn't the other argument that they don't have anything to announce? Like, it's not cheap to go to E3. You don't have a game. What yeah. are you doing? So right. isn't this really admission that none of the big players have a game? By yeah. Two? Well, you know, Microsoft just did a little game event where they talked about a bunch of upcoming titles. And to me, like, you know, I play games, I like games, but I find these events to be a little tedious. It's just like, you know, trailer after trailer after trailer. Um, yeah. You bring out a couple of guys to talk. And then, you know, if, if you're lucky every couple of years, every five years or something, you'll have some, here's a piece of hardware, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, so E3 is supposedly coming back this year. Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft are all not going to be there, according it's to. It's a conservative year, right? Yeah. Everyone's pulling back. They're going to yeah. spend So you think if they had a game next year, they might be back? Logical thing. I don't think they ever come back, I honestly. Wonder, Even really? before the pandemic, they yeah. were walking away. Microsoft started by... It's all a question doing, of who's got the audience. Across the right? street, remember? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But every one of these companies it. can have their own event and draw yeah. people. Yep. And they do. And they do. And that's do. what happened to Comdex. They didn't need it anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Welcome to the internet. Yeah. 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 It's all good news, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't lost anything. <laughs> Let's Fine. take a break. And we got the back of the book coming up. We got some brown liquor coming up. We got some good stuff just for you. Stay tuned. Richard Campbell is here from Run As Radio and .NET Rocks. Paul Thorat, Thorat.com. Our show today brought to you by Drawta. Drawta. Is your organization having a little trouble achieving uh, compliance, continuous compliance, especially as you grow and scale? 
I can't believe so many uh, businesses still, so many enterprises still do manual evidence collection for compliance. That's slow. It's inefficient. It's just not the way to do it. As a leader in cloud compliance software, G2 says this, by the way, leader in cloud compliance software, Drata streamlines your SOC 2, your ISO 27001, your PCI DSS, GDPR, HIPAA, and other compliance frameworks by providing, get ready, 24-hour continuous automated control monitoring. So you focus on scaling securely. You let Drata do the hard work, the heavy lifting. And with a suite of 75 integrations, Drata easily integrates with your tech stack. AWS, Azure, GitHub, Okta, Cloudflare, and more. Countless security professionals from companies including Lemonade, Notion, which we're being, we use right now, Bamboo HR, they all have shared how crucial it has been to have Drata as a trusted partner in the compliance process. Drata is personally backed by SVCI. Now, why is that important? Because SVCI is a syndicate of CISO angel investors from some of the world's most influential companies. They obviously see a need for Drata. They said, you know, they're investing in it and it works. It works. It lets companies see all their controls, easily map them to compliance frameworks to gain immediate insight into overlap. Companies could start building a solid security posture, achieve and maintain compliance, and expand their security assurance efforts. Drata's automated dynamic policy templates support companies new to compliance, help alleviate hours of manual labor. They have an integrated security awareness training program, very important, automated reminders to ensure smooth employee onboarding, they're the only player in the industry to build on a private database architecture. You're going to want that. It means your data can never be accessed by anyone outside your organization. Private's private. All customers are, the support from Drata is fantastic. All the customers, every one of you, uh, will be backed by a team of compliance experts. You'll have a designated customer success manager. And, and this is cool. They have a team of former auditors, people who have conducted over 500 audits, who are there for support and counsel and your questions. With consistent meeting cadence, they keep you on track to ensure there are no surprises, no barriers, and you're going to love the pre-audit calls. Drata's pre-audit calls prepare you when those audits begin. You'll, you've, you've never felt so taken care of and so ready. With Drata's risk management solution, you can manage end-to-end -end risk assessment and treatment workflows. You can flag risks, you can score them, then decide whether to accept or mitigate or transfer or avoid them. Drata's mapping appropriate controls to risks. So that simplifies risk management, automates the process. And Drata's Trust Center provides real-time transparency into security and compliance postures with improved sales, security reviews, and better relationships with customers and partners. You want this. Say goodbye to manual evidence collection. Say hello to automated compliance by visiting drata.com slash twit. D-R-A-T-A, drata.com slash twit. Bringing automation to compliance at Drata speed. Get a demo and 10% off at drata, D-R-A-T-A dot com slash twit. We thank them for their support of Windows Weekly and work Paul and Richard are doing. We thank you for supporting us by going to that address, drata.com slash twit. 
Let's kick off the back of the book with Mr. Paul and his tip of the week. Yeah, so we talked about Bitwarden and password managers and all that kind of stuff, and I switched. But then I had to make that final step. This, this is like a like a multi-step process, right? So you switching, like moving your uh, passwords to a new place is easy. In fact, it might be too easy. Um, but then you have to go through the process, right? So you have to set it up in your browser to, uh, you know, to autofill, obviously. Such you a have pain. To turn off that in your browser so it doesn't do it itself. You have to, on mobile, have to go through an interface. Um, I think I mentioned this before, but one of the interesting things about the iPhone is you could actually have multiple autofill services. Yeah, I use um, both so we, Apples and Bitwarden. Yeah. And it works fine. It just gives you a choice. Yeah, it works fine. Yeah. On Android, you have to pick one. So anyway, I switched everything over to Bit, uh, Bitwarden. Okay, and that's good. been working great. But of course, Our sponsor, I wanted to make sure over time, yeah, I wanted to make sure it was good, right, before I took I the I did the same step, thing. Which, I left yeah. my passwords on LastPass just in case. Yep. Yeah. And then, I don't know, two weeks, three weeks, whatever amount of time went by, and finally I was like, all right, it's time to say goodbye. I okay. And I got to tell you, that's a gut punch. <laughs> you go into... You go into your old pa- whatever it is if it's in a browser. I have I had pa- I had passwords in multiple locations actually. Oh man, because uh, I you know I test so much so I switch around. So uh, I had to go into like Edge and uh, Chrome and Brave. them all. <laughs> you know yeah and and nuke it from space and that's the thing you gotta you gotta do that. That's the point. Well, and you've got <laughs> you a know? lot of machines too, so it's mm-hmm. like on and on each machine. Oh yeah, you gotta go yep. through. Yep. If you did local storage, I here's mean, the one pitfall I found. I don't know if you ran into this. I had a lot of shared passwords in LastPass with Lisa and others. Right. And I thought, that. well, I was I don't know what I was thinking. I thought, well, maybe just copied it over and it's in their vault now, and I don't have to worry <laughs> sure. about it. As soon as I deleted the LastPass vault. Lisa said, where'd all the passwords go? They were being shared, actively shared from yeah, LastPass. Yeah, yeah. Right. So you so. probably know about this. I, someone asked me about this today. I looked it up. I know they do this, but I don't, Bitwarden does have password sharing. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. I just don't, I just don't do that. So I didn't. You know. Yeah. I, well, and I had to set it up. A, you set it up in two steps, right? So you do the export from LastPass, which is very disturbing because now you have a CSV yep. file of That's all clear of text. I know, I know, plain text file of everything. I know. Uh, and then I, I cut it up into shared stuff and personal stuff and loaded oh, them separately. Oh, okay. interesting. So to, oh, to make sure idea. that I had them in the shared yeah, yeah. vault okay. so right. that she who must be obeyed had that's access right, to them. That's right, because, okay, they have multiple vaults, yeah. yeah. But see, Actually, this is the difference. Lisa's still on LastPass. Right, yeah. So if I, could, if I could have gotten her to move to Bitwarden... Uh, then it wouldn't be as big a problem. I would have done. Leo, I think it's the man of the house. You have to put your foot down oh, and just house. say, I'm a, you're I'm doing charge, this. right? Who wears I mean, pants already? <laughs> I'm the one with the tinfoil hat on here. <laughs> All three of us are married. We know. Yeah. It's not no, how it they, works. We may See, talk tough when we're alone together, yeah. but the reality is. <laughs> now, this was a couple of cocktail conversations to persuade <laughs> yeah. to say, yeah. Yeah. this is in our best interest. It's going to be. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Lisa knows, but it's such a pain. Yeah. She also knows, and she has been doing this to her credit, she has to go through all her passwords and change them. Yeah. And she's yeah. been doing that. She says, yeah, I That's do about fine. 10 or 20 a week. I just do it See, a bunch of times. this would be a good thing time. to do during baseball season when you can kind of yeah, only half yeah. pay attention. You get your beer, you get your hat dog, you get your <laughs> yeah. password, man. You get your baseball game, you get <laughs> you your passwords. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, there's other stuff. I don't use any of this other stuff, but you can use these things to store you know, credit cards. And I do that, too. Identification and... That's There's another pitfall, just to be aware of. 
binary files that are stored in LastPass don't get exported with the export. So yes. you have to right. this is a separate thing. Save them right. out and then re-import them or create new images. Because I have oh, passports, God, driver's licenses, like, security, social security, everything's astonishing. Oh, I use secure notes. I mean, what better way to keep secure notes of course. than in your password manager? Yeah, also, the big the one for me was the authenticator keys. You know, you get that skew yes, of yes. numbers for authenticator keys. You have to rebuild authenticator from scratch. That I put in, and that did import properly. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's I've, nice. I've rebuilt authenticator from scratch so many times. I, yeah, yeah not, see, I don't, like I don't want to keep my uh, my TOTPs in uh, the password manager because then if somebody gets my passwords, they also get my secrets. Their, yeah, they have the. Right, I don't want right. to do that. So you know what Steve Gibson does, which is hysterical, but actually kind of smart. Whenever he gets the QR code, he hits print, oh. and he has all his QR codes printed, and in his in a <laughs> notebook somewhere. Really? Yeah. I mean, aren't a lot of those temporary? No, no, no. That's this. That QR code is oh, the secure. Is the... That's the key. Oh, okay. That's the wow. twenty-eight digit key that then I gets see. meshed with the time of day to create a TOTP. So that never changes. That's your secret. That's what LastPass or Bitwarden keeps okay. track of. This is probably semi-obvious too. But after typing in my master password a couple of times, I was like, obviously, I could protect this with biometrics like what, what am i yeah. doing you know so yeah you um, have to do that again over and over do again. that as yeah, well yeah. yeah yeah i quick i quickly moved over to using my fido keys for yeah. that i don't want to yeah my I master password is very long yeah the fido right. key is much less painful but as yep. long as my password is 31 characters and i've been typing it in a lot because <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, bit, uh, <laughs> when you when you add a password it's like type in your master password uh -huh. like, what, what were you what yeah like, well I it's mean, good i appreciate it's the security but but yeah know. i use a fido uh i mean a yeah. key for my fido yep um it's still you know in order to turn that on you have to type in your master password so yes. i end up typing you know, it a lot. Uh, that move is a big process and I'm yeah. still angry a little bit at uh, LastPass for forcing us to do this. I feel like yeah. had yeah. they been. Well, but then, uh, you know what, though? Sometimes you need that push. And yeah. I mean, you've at least looked at your stuff. I mean, even if you ended up keeping it there, uh, this was a, a healthy reminder sure. to pay attention. True. Because I but think you, we get, we, we're, you know, so we wake up when call. you go to lead, it does ask you, like, why mm -hmm. are you leaving? And yeah. one of the options is. Because you've completely screwed up. Your <laughs> yeah, because you screwed the fruits. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. You tell me Was why. Was it because I'm we leaving. completely effed up? Yes, it yes. Was. <laughs> That's why. Okay. Oh, understand. Got it. It's been literally the it's most like popular the, uh, topic on the last six weeks of our sure. shows. Why? Oh, okay. it, one of the answers was just spite. <laughs> why? You know, why are you closing your account? Spite. Yeah. yeah so yesterday we were talking on Security Now about Bitwarden again. Bitwarden's a sponsor. Uh, yep. But it seems to be kind of a lot of people have kind of centered on that. One, one password is very good. There's plenty I think of other one good password passwords. and Bitwarden are the two. Yeah, they're very you know, comparable. Routinely, you hear. Yeah. But because Bitwarden's open source, somebody did a pull request to because you know they're yeah. all using PBKDF2, which is a hardening uh, system to to hash your password, to salt and hash it. And uh, in some cases, not enough uh, iterations because modern GPU machines are very fast and can actually you know, do these calculations right. pretty quickly. All it is is a speed bump. But there is a better way to do it, which is memory-hard uh, uh, technologies like S-Crypt or Argon2. Mm -hmm. Dashlane uses Argon2 in a kind of interesting, maybe not the best implementation. Mm -hmm. But because you can issue a pull request to Bitwarden, people have written now S-Crypt and Argon2 plugins. And we are oh. talking yesterday, uh, one of the guys who did this said uh, he'd been working with Bitwarden 
And they both agreed that rather than confuse people with two different uh, password hardening technologies, they were going to uh, sit back on S-Crypt and implement Argon too. And so right. he said in the next iteration, the next version of Bitwarden, next time you get an update, you will have the choice of key hardening technologies. You could use continue to use PBKDF2. Mm-hmm. There's a standards organization that, that requires that. I can't remember the name of them. And that's uh, that's why it's still around. But you'll be able to choose Argon too, and I'm, certainly when that happens, we'll we'll make a big noise about it. Uh, but that's really sure. great. No. That's really yes. great. There is a setting in Bitwarden already that lets you choose the derivative function, and uh, mm-hmm. and now you can choose. You'll soon be able to choose Argon too, and that will be the thing to do. And then, hmm. and then, mm-hmm. I feel like with a long, good master password, two-factor authentication a good key derivative function, you're probably, even if the vaults get lost, you're okay, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to find out, Leo. Yeah, you know, uh, well, you got to <laughs> figure, if, bad if guys any... are hammering on LastPass, 1Password, yeah. Bitwarden, RoboForm, all of them saying, Let me, you know, let's see if yep. we can get this because this worked out so well on LastPass. Right. And, it, you know, there's a lot of social engineering going on and so forth. I don't know, I feel pretty good about it. I'm, I turned my PBKDF2 iterations to the max, which is 2 million. Yeah. And it's not that it's not appreciably slower. It's fine. So I guess that's right. what I'd recommend for now. <sighs> and then Argon 2 down the road. But, but yeah, I think you're doing the right thing. I didn't – you did it after two weeks. It took me a few months to get rid of it. Well, it might have been – Three weeks or That's, more. I don't remember. Maybe I'm, I really, I'm misremembering. I was. I just figured. You know, I know I'm going to log in somewhere. Yep. Oh no, no. I. I I'm, yeah. It's the same sorry. thing. I'm positive. That, and across mobile too. I, I'm really concerned about mobile autofilling apps and stuff like that. Like I need this to work. You yeah. know. Because uh, there's nothing. I can't type a normal sentence on my phone. How am I going to type a password into this thing? Oh God. So. Anyway, yeah, I wanted to make sure it worked. So when it I, seems yeah, like when I, I had the two side by side until I did all the things. I went to the yep. ghost place. Yep. I yep. went abroad. Like yep. I made sure that every mm-hmm. machine context I was functional. And then I'm right. like, okay, you can go now. And yep. and yet with all that, I discovered, oh, <laughs> I just killed all my shared passwords. Yeah, I'm I sorry, know. Lisa. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so not, now I have to. Good. You know, I can't share them with her because she's on a bet warden, so I have to text them to her. So yet, <laughs> there you go. Yet we're getting there. No, we're in fact, yeah. the company's moving to Bitwarden, so I think it's just there a matter go. of time before we're okay. be an enterprise Bitwarden. Again. We're going to do enterprise yeah. Bitwarden. Yeah, we yeah, were enterprise LastPass, and that's a because now we got to do all the same things for the enterprise for sure. Right. Yikes! For the same reasons. Yep. Paul's book, uh, The Field Guide to Windows 11, selling like hotcakes. Well, it's selling like cold cakes. But um, I have, so I I mentioned another book that I'm working on. So uh, in 2019, and then I took a break, and then again in 2021, I guess. Yeah, probably. I wrote a, what is sort of a technical history of Windows, right? Uh, which I stupidly called programming windows on the site, which I can't call as a book, <laughs> but I wanted to turn this into a book. So I, I, I sort of, you know, as I would, as uh, you know, we were talking about OCD and whatnot, I became kind of obsessed to see like, how long is this thing? Right. So just the text. And I, originally I was going to do like chunks of the book and kind of put it on lean pub and see what it looked like. And then finally I was like, no, I'm just going to blow through this and just see what, what's the text look like, you know? And uh, just the text, like just text, is like 675 pages in um, PDF form. However, 
There are several chapters that are just basically short coding chapters, those sort of coding examples, like Hello World type applications, so across multiple languages and frameworks and whatever. And I was like, you know, I wonder if this like, I bet some people wouldn't care about that at all, right? Like, what does that look like? And so I think I'm going to put that, I, originally I was like, do I do two versions or, and I think I'm going to put that stuff in the back of the book, but just without that stuff, it's still over 600 pages long. And I have to go back and add this photos and screenshots and all kinds of other stuff. So it's it's a pretty substantial book, you know. And so I'm gonna Good try. I'm still it's great. Still still trying to figure out a name. I think I'm probably just gonna call it Windows Everywhere, which is now an ironic name. And um, we'll but it's see. Kind, so but it's hoping, history. It's the history of Windows programming. Is that it? Really? Yeah. 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 A, well, it's the history of Windows, but with sort of from the perspective of an app developer, because, mm. you know, like Windows is this thing. I want to write an app, that run, you know, like what's going on today and what are your choices and like, why do those things happen? Like how Windows changed because of things that were happening out in the, you know, the industry or um, whatever, like, you know, like OOP was a huge thing in the, you know, the 1990s and then it wasn't and then components and then. Uh, .NET obviously was a huge thing, and then it wasn't, and, you know, for Windows anyway. Um, so it's just, it's kind of, yeah, it's just kind of an all, it, uh, parts of it are just straight up history. I mean, I just, you know, whatever. And then parts of it are very specifically, you know, Java is a big deal at one point, and like we just talked about, and I don't know, it's, it's kind of an interesting. great idea for a book. I love this. Mm -hmm. I read all yeah, of the uh, articles on the premiumthorot.com, but I still want the book. Yeah, but I got to do all kinds. Of, I, there's all this. I want my my wife's going to help edit it, and she doesn't know anything about any of this stuff. So she's already said like you need to have some kind of yeah technical reviewer technical yeah. list of you know terms and and yeah. uh, I might do like a code name list because there's a lot of code names in it and uh, wow big glossary glossary yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah a lot of stuff. So anyway, I just wanted to. We talked about this last week, I think, and I this is since then I'm like screw it. I'm just going to blow through this. I'm going to convert it all to Markdown. And just see what it looks like and uh, do some light editing. Yeah, There's a big, great so. site. You might need this. There's a great site I go mm -hmm. to called Rosetta Code. Are you familiar with that? No. Rosettacode.org. It, okay. uh, it talks about commonly programmed stuff, and then it shows it mm -hmm. side by side in different languages. Oh, that's funny. Okay. So they call oh, So I did a lot. Yeah. I mean, I did some of this. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's, 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 let's see, here's, you know, just, I don't know, here's a hundred doors, which is yeah. a, a, you know, coding problem. Here's the problem. And then it just shows you how you would do that. There's 360 yeah. assembly. Here it is in quick basic. Python, <laughs> 4 DOS, yeah. 6502 assembly. I love it. Jeez. Jeez. 6502. It's actually really useful as I move around yeah. from language to language and I'm going, well, how do I do, what's the map so, command? And, all right. I would just, only you guys would appreciate this. So. The, the the thing I did that I think was the coolest thing I did in writing code sort of was I was writing those notepad applications and I wrote the first one in Visual Basic because I had some background in that and before I learned C Sharp. And I needed to print and I couldn't figure it out. And I'm like, I wonder if Charles Petzold wrote anything about this. <laughs> and sure enough, actually in a C Sharp book, he wrote a, a basic notepad app and he implemented printing. So I took that code and I converted it to Visual Basic. And there were a couple little niggling things, whatever. And it worked and I got printing working. That's great. And then later on, I did a C-sharp version of it. And I took my code from Visual Basic and I converted it back to C-sharp. 
And then I later compared it to what he wrote originally, and it was pretty damn close. Wow. And so it was like this game of telephone tag, except like at the fun. end it was like, That's yeah, fun. I got the message right. That's <laughs> like, great. It was pretty good. That's like, really fun. I thought that was kind of cool. Like, yeah. I, I was, I was pretty that. happy about that. Coding's <clears> fun. <throat> anyway. Yeah. I like it. Okay. Anyway, sorry. I didn't mean to waste too much time on that. But Let's uh, move on to the next segment, Indeed. which is the app pick of the week. Who's doing that for us today? Rich is going to do this it. one. All right, Rich. Uh, I, I stumbled onto a website recently just trying to read better news. You know, oh, I, God, I, subscribed, I, I, re, I subscribed to Reuters. I subscribed to Associate Press because they seem to have the rawest news. Right. But ground.news is this site where they're pulling from everywhere so you can see all the variations on a given story, how all the different media, major media groups have written about that story. And uh, it's very, to me, it's been fascinating just to realize where my own biases lie, what I'm reading, what I'm not reading. And so it presses against all of that. And so I'm, I'm still getting deeper into it. It's, it's also interesting to see where stories are covered by more, only covered by more liberal. Yeah, there's a little graph on every story yeah, to exactly. show who covers it more. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, and so yeah. it's just been a mechanism where I'm trying to read more broadly and see that sort of where the biases live. <laughs> I like. I this. like that the the top level menu for me. I don't know if it's it's like home, my feed, local, Tom Brady. Wait, yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's the like, big story of the week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and then Tyree Tom Nichols, Brady. and then Valentine's oh, Day. I'm sorry. Okay. I guess this must change all the time. But yeah, this is a good example. You know, a Fed raises interest rates by 25 basis points. You know, and some some news sources would say in in the smallest hike since March, and some would say as inflation continues to roar through yeah. the economy, and it's really <laughs> yeah, it, I think that's fascinating. winter storm threatens one hundred million Americans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ten percent of America under flood watch. Um, yeah. I think this is so. Is, then, normally, I would run cost? around and grab them from different places. Yeah, but here they've got them all in one spot. How much does it cost? Uh, ten bucks for a year. Oh, that's nothing. Okay. For the for the for the, for that's the for pros. Basic, they've got, basic. They've, they have yeah, they've, they've got a, there's like a hundred dollars a year for the full meal yeah. deal with all the goodies. Well. But even then you're talking less than ten dollars a month. Right? Yeah. So. Uh this sounds really interesting. And it and it really is unbiased because sometimes I go to these sites and yeah, they're yeah. they're biased. <laughs> they show you where they're pulling sources from and that. how they and the different ranking services this. they use for that. So they're trying to sit fairly neutral in that <laughs> yeah. story space. Microsoft, Nintendo, and Sony are reportedly all skipping E three is one hundred percent left. <laughs> <laughs> really? Nobody on the you right is talking about that. Your stupid tech <laughs> rumors. Darn video games. You make me sick. Uh, <laughs> All right. Hey, good tip. Ground dot news. Oh, that's funny. Uh, really good it's tip. Been, yeah. It's been, yeah, it's been great. Yeah. All right. Mr. Paul Throt. No, no. I guess we're still doing brown liquor. Yeah. Let's do some. I got. I figured it was Canadian turns. So right. I wanted to go to uh, one of my favorites. One of the ones that's always in my cupboard, which is Crown Royal. Oh, yeah. Now, see, this is see, this is interesting to me. Because Canadian whiskey is, how would you characterize it compared to, say, Scotch, Irish, or bourbon? Yeah. And, they, and, and can you generalize it in any way? Um, you can't. I mean, different distilleries do different things. In the case of Crown, for they make a bunch of different variations. Their core mash bill is more or less the same. It's primarily corn 
then typically rye, they have a few exceptions, and a little bit of barley, which is, you know, not that different from a bourbon mash bill. It's it's pretty close, although you can't call it bourbon because it's not in America. Uh, it was the uh, it came from a company called Seagram's, which was started in Canada and ultimately acquired and by larger conglomerates over time that eventually landed all in Diageo because Diageo owns everything these days. But it's called Crown Royal because their original edition from 1939 was made specifically for the royal tour into Canada, which was not Queen Elizabeth uh, II, anyway. It was King George VI and his wife, Queen Elizabeth. Her dad, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, her dad back in the day. Uh, This is the one that comes in the purple velvet bag. The little purple bag, which some people really don't like. Like, that bothers (laughs) some folks. That's a great place to put your D&D dice. Oh, yeah, those those bags are super useful, right? (laughs) That's hysterical. Um, it's made in a place called Gimli, Manitoba. And that is, and Gimli, Manitoba is really only famous for two things. One is crown, uh, one, one is crown, and the other is the Gimli Glider. Which is... Okay. Th- back in, in 1983, yeah. uh, a 767 did not load enough fuel and nobody <laughs> noticed. And in mid-flight, they ran out of gas. We're going to Manitoba, everybody. (laughs) And and the pilot was able to dead stick it down on a drag track that was in use. Whoa. Uh, No loss of life, but uh, that was one of these crazy things. And the real reason it's in Gimli is for the same reason that bourbon is made in Frankfurt and Bargetown and Lawrenceburg, which is that their water table sits in limestone. Ah. Limestone makes... Very yeah. soft water, and that's yeah. what you need when you're going to make booze. You need you need water with as little minerals in it as possible, and so that they build it, they make it in Gimli because they got the right water. Uh, and it, the um, sort of claim to fame for um, Crown Royal was that uh, back in 2016, it won best whiskey in the world for their Northern Rye. Huh. Oh. And wiped it out of the market. You couldn't find it anywhere. Yeah. I, I, yep. I managed to get a bottle, and it was. It was very good. I don't know why it won, you know, yeah. records, but it was. It's very tasty uh, whiskey. It's um, they don't use pot stills; they use only column stills. It's very efficient way to go. But there's a there's a whole argument in whiskey making about pot stills having a higher reflux level. And at some point, I'll do a whole dissertation on still designs. But column stills are good for making very high distillations. If you want to go up to 90% or something, they're, they're great for that. You have to manage them to do lower distillations. But now all they use is column stills, and they get all these great flavors out of it. They have gone a little nuts in the past Yeah, I'm not sure years. I'd get peach or salted yeah. caramel so flavored. Well, this is a little goofy, but we actually stop. have some of the apple, which we use for cocktails. Yeah. And in the same way that you would do a flavored vodka, you can do a flavored yeah. whiskey. But, so know, I always, because you, you see the ads for this, so I just assume, oh, it's, you know, mass market, mass produced whiskey, well, this, but it's not. And, yeah. and it's it, pretty good. It, it is. It is. But it's reasonably priced. Right. Uh, That's right. And it's mostly corn. So, you know, the, all, all the flavors coming from the rye. But my, you know, go to, I you know, highball drink would be Crown with ginger ale. Yeah. There you go. You know, you don't feel bad mixing it. If you, if right. you got a fancier whiskey, you got to drink it by itself. And sometimes right. that's. It's not good on a summer day. You want a big glass with some ice and a little whiskey yep. in it. You could have gone a gin and tonic, or you could do a ground ginger. There you go. I was watching last night a uh, very well-known documentary called The War Room, which is about the 1992 presidential campaign, hmm. Clinton and Bush the First, 
And it really features. Oh, this is really about James Carville. It's really about it? James Carville. It really features yeah. James Carville and George Stephanopoulos. Yeah. Uh, but at one point, as they get close to election day, they want to celebrate. And somebody, and I didn't notice this the first time because I didn't know you, Richard, but somebody pulls out a bottle of, of Abalura Budna. Are you saying, yeah. really? In 1992? In 1992. Oh, and Carvel knows. Yeah. <laughs> Carvel knows. Because they say, sniff it. And he said, I ain't sniffing this. I'm drinking it. <laughs> he goes out and he gets a glass. Yeah. Uh, I think he knows. It's a good, it's a really good uh, whiskey. And I looked at that. And oh, I that's thought, beautiful. Wow. I know. There's a little insight on that, thanks to you, Richard. So that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Huh. Um, so, I mean, it, it is a simpler whiskey. One of the things they do, because they're not stuck with the bourbon rules, is they do age in sherry and used bourbon casts and things like which that. Which is they're fun. more fun. How yeah, about their cognac uh, aged? Would that be a good choice, the XO? Different kind, different kind of barreling. I, I've not really tried it. Okay. Okay. Uh, generally, if I want cognac, I drink cognac. Drink cognac. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in fact, if you if well, we get an opportunity to do a whiskey tasting, often with folks who really like whiskey, I'll slip a cognac into the middle of it because you probably can tell. Interesting. Really. Interesting. You know, the difference between grain alcohol aged in wood versus fruit alcohol aged right. in Grapes. wood yeah. is small. Yeah. Right? Interesting. Wow. Huh. Yeah. I have um, a Louis the Fifteenth bottle. <laughs> <laughs> we drank all the, the cognac out of it, but I'm trying to think As of what well I should. you should. Yeah, we should. But the bottle's beautiful. I want to put something else in it. So yeah. uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll get some uh, XO and put that in there. And, and one of these days, I'll tell the story of uh, the whiskeys or the cognacs of Moldova, Ooh, wow. the Transnistrian region. Clint, it's mostly all bought by the Russians because it's very good, and they have be- they have beautiful wines, and they have beautiful cognacs. And I, the only way to get them is to go there. And I have on occasion. Nice. Oh. It, yeah. Nice. Moldova. Wow. Moldova. I don't know that I go there right now. They're right beside yeah, I was Ukraine. Say, it's a- like, when you're driving on the highway in Moldova, there are signs that say, this way to Odessa. And you're like, I am very far east. <laughs> <laughs> wow. My friends, we have concluded this <laughs> gripping edition of Windows Weekly. So glad to have you back, Richard. Appreciate Great it. Great to be back. You'll find Richard at Run As Radio and .NET Rocks, two great podcasts on the internet. Uh, Paul Therott is at uh, therott.com. You should be a premium member there. It really is a great way to support Paul and, and get great extra content. Uh, and, of course, his book, uh, The Field Guide to Windows 11, including The Field Guide to Windows 10, is available at leanpub.com. When do you think you're going to get the uh, new one out? So I'm going to do it in stages. I think I'm going to... I'll just do like the text first. It will be, you know, because it's like a publish as you go kind of a thing. And I'll go through and edit it. I actually want, I'm going to add content to it too. There's a lot of stuff I didn't cover. Oh, good. So I want to, yeah, I'm going to, as, as soon as this coming week, um, I'll, the first version, you know, like the. It's a labor of love, I know. Yeah. Uh, this is a subject you like to write about and I can't wait to read about. So we'll look forward to it. We do Windows Weekly every Wednesday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, that would be 1900 UTC if you want to watch us live. There's a live stream at twit.tv slash live audio or video. You can choose. If you're watching live, listen live at irc.twit.tv or chat live, I should say. Uh, you can also chat in our Club Twit Discord where uh, we are now talking about brown liquors. <laughs> yeah. got, which i have to say i'm a lot us, more engaged in uh yeah you got <laughs> you got us started and now that's all we can talk about uh the discord is available to members of club twit seven bucks a month gets you in uh, you get a lot more of course than just the discord but uh, that's a good part of the fun 
After the fact, on-demand versions of the show are available at the website, twit.tv, or on YouTube. There's a YouTube version. Uh, of course, you can subscribe, and that's probably the best way to get it automatically. The minute it's available, as they say, wherever finer podcasts are aggregated, syndicated, and stored for your delight uh, and download. Paul, Richard, have a great week. We'll see you next time on Windows Weekly. Bye-bye. Thanks. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I am Ant Pruitt, and I am the host of Hands-On Photography here on Twit TV. I know you got yourself a fancy smartphone, you got yourself a fancy camera, but your pictures are still lacking. Can't quite figure out what the heck shutter speed means? Watch my show. I got you covered. Want to know more about just the ISO and exposure triangle in general? Yeah, I got you covered. Or if you got all of that down, you want to get into lighting, you know, making things look better by changing the lights around you. I got you covered on that, too. So check us out each and every Thursday here on the network. Go to twit.tv slash hop and subscribe today.